We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Notre Dame fans, welcome back to another edition of the Irish Breakdown Live Mailbag. My name is Brian Driscoll. I'm the publisher at irishbreakdown.com. And Vince D'Addario will be with us, but he will be with us a little short, a little later. He is in the process of getting everything set up and getting home. And uh, we're going to go ahead and dive right in. And there's already a lot of questions in the queue, and I expect a lot more. And uh, I think some of our 10, 15-minute intros have caused these shows to go even longer. So we're going to just jump right into y'all's questions. So, um Appreciate y'all being with us today. Look forward to a lot of talk. We're going to be in uh, Columbus this weekend, myself and Eric Rutter. There's an Under Armour camp with some big Notre Dame prospects in the 22 and 23 class, so we will be at that. We'll be enjoying that. Uh, Have plenty of analysis of that uh, coming up here very soon. So let's go ahead and dive right into some questions. Michael Collins kicks things off. What positives does Coach Alexander bring? I read about perceived negatives, not a grinder in recruiting player development. I believe he came with Chip Long, so why does BK keep him on the staff? Uh, number one is Coach Kelly is not a huge fan of of turning coaches over. I mean, we've seen this before. We've seen coaches who weren't necessarily great stay around longer than they should. I think another reason why he, he keeps Coach Alexander around is because I think Coach Kelly knows what I know and what, what I thought, which is he came with a very strong reputation. And I don't think Coach Alexander not grinding in the recruiting trail is something that can't be corrected. We're already starting to see some steps towards that. We're hearing him more involved with 2023 kids than we have heard uh, with 2022 kids. So hopefully as Brian Kelly gets more engaged in recruiting, that you see some of the offensive assistants who aren't really grinders step it up as well. 
And I think that's kind of where we're at uh, with, with that question. In regards to the other part about the development, I think he's a good receivers coach. I think his strategy has been flawed. And I think this is a, a, a more of a team problem, which is the way that Brian Kelly's program is run is that when the season starts, if you're on the scout team, you don't meet with the first team offense anymore. You don't, you're not part of the game plan meetings. This may not be true at every position, but it's definitely true on offense and most positions. This is something I've been told year after year from several different sources. So, you know, last year, if Jordan Johnson's working on the scout team, all he gets is from Dell Alexander is just the individual period. He's not getting any teamwork, any 707 work. He's not getting any film work. None of that stuff is happening and, and with the younger players. And I think that's why we're seeing some stunted development uh, with the wide receiver position. And so that, but that's not a Dell Alexander problem per se. I mean, he needs to be more engaged with working with the entire depth chart. But the structure set up to where it's it's not as easy to do that, especially to a position like receiver where you have more kids. So I think that is something that uh, needs to be addressed by Coach Kelly and then, of course, by Coach Alexander. Now, here's the good news. I've talked to three or four different uh, sources that have said that this is something that Coach Alexander has has reached out to people about or and saying, hey, this is going to get corrected. This is going to get fixed. So I'm very, very encouraged by that. Now, before we move on, Vince is now with us and ready to go. Vince, Woo! what's up, buddy? Thanks for hey. thanks for joining us, man. Absolutely. Sorry about the uh, the tardy delay on that one. It's uh, tough to get everybody moving in the right direction. No worries. Here, it's a little but, easier uh, for me. Um, I just throw my two dogs a bone. You have five children. It doesn't work as effectively with them. I've tried. I've tried to just throw them a bone, but you know, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't work. work. That's well. called child abuse. So Vince, we're only <laughs> we're only one question in. So okay. we just talked about Coach Alexander. We're going to keep listening. rocking and rolling. Yes, sir. Uh, Jason. Hitting it up with the super chat. Thank you, Jason, very, very much. Um, rank these interior O-line recruits in order of their ceilings. Oh, wow. Not for Notre Dame, so just their ceilings. So that would be Shrouf, Hinsman, Tanona, and Bingham. I think Bingham just committed to Kentucky, but we'll still talk about him. Now, I'm going to see Hinsman and Bingham are supposed to be at the Under Armour camp that I'm going to be at this weekend. So I'm really interested in seeing Hinsman up close and personal. If I had to rank that group... So I'm going to go uh, four to one, Jason. Uh, four to me is Bingham. I think Bingham is a big, strong, physical kid. I think he's probably the least athletic of that group. And and you, Jason, you know me a long time. I value athleticism, especially footwork, when it comes to um, offensive linemen, inside or outside. Vince, I think that's especially true yep. uh, in today's era, especially with 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 so many offenses that. And, and again, his question was not just for ND. But with so many offenses doing more trapping, more pulling, more more perimeter stuff, more yep. second level stuff, Vince, that's so much more important in today's era of college football when it comes no to offensive linemen. That's what I look at. That's the first thing I'm looking at is your feet, and because mm -hmm. you can, especially and especially with strength and conditioning and all of that stuff that that, and you're not expecting offensive linemen to mm -hmm. play right away, right? So they have time to build on that on that body and and really mm -hmm. get strong and. Right. Feet though, it's hard to teach footwork. You know what I mean? Either mm -hmm. you are have good feet or you yeah, especially foot quickness. Well. Exactly. It, yes. Yeah. And that's why Bingham would be number four for me. Jason, this one's tough. Two and three is some some version of Shrouth or Hinsman. And the reason I'd probably go with Hinsman third and Shrouth second, again, if we're not talking Notre Dame. So we're not talking position fit or anything like that. We're just talking uh ranking. I would probably go with 
uh, Hinsman third and Shrouth second. The reason for that is I think Shrouth could play tackle, whereas Hinsman's a, Hinsman is a pure interior player. And that's and then number one for me is Joey Tonona. And that's not just because he's a Notre Dame commit. I liked Joey Tonona as a as a two thousand as a right tackle or uh, tackle prospect in the twenty twenty two class. Once he then played center this past year, Vince he skyrocketed because mm-hmm. I thought he was a good right tackle, like a top right. two fifty player right tackle. But you saw a film of him, I think, this past year as a center. He was a monster. He was and yeah. as we talked about in our our uh, podcast when we talked about the offensive line this week. To have a dude just simply step into the center position like that and be a beast, it that's, says a lot about him. That's hard. That's not to easy to do. That is yeah. not easy to do. Center, center's a different animal, and we've talked a lot about that on this show. Um, to be able to snap and take that first step and get your head up and get your arms up, that it, that's just it's just not easy to do. It's yeah. not everybody's cup of tea. So be able right. being able to step into that kind of a role that says something. Yeah, no question. So, Jason, that would be my order. Bingham for sort of 2A, 2B with with Hinsman and, and Shrouth, and then Tonona would be number one. Connor, appreciate that. Got that very much, man. Appreciate you. We love that, that you're in the show. Look forward to hearing some questions from you here coming up. So, Vince, we're back at the top Yes, sir. Uh, with question number two with Michael Collins. We'll just kind of jump into that. See that yep. I don't believe we've seen any highlights, heard much about Jay Brunel, any updates on him. So, he was in one of the early highlights. I've actually seen a couple, um, or I've talked to a couple people that, so Jay went through an illness and it was not COVID related. I, I checked in on this. It was not COVID related, but he went through an illness kind of l- during the season where he just lost a lot of weight, a lot of strength. So he's kind of playing catch up right now. So he's a little bit behind those other guys just from catching up, but I have seen some, heard some things that he is coming along. They like what they're seeing. The issue that he has, and a lot of these guys has, Vince, this is a loaded receiver depth chart. It, for right. all the talk about, oh, they don't have playmakers. Bull. Yes, they do. <laughs> yes, they do. This is a loaded receiving core, and it's going to be harder. I mean, Kendall Abdur-Rahman, five years ago, is playing as a sophomore. Flat out playing as a sophomore. Even with him not knowing how to play receiver. And now he's transferring because he 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 didn't have a lot of hope of moving up up the depth chart, and I think that just speaks volumes about how deep this group is. Yeah, I, I'm excited about this wide receiver group, and it, it always makes me chuckle when I see people out on the street and talk to people, and they're like, "Man, we need more playmakers." I'm like, "You just need more playmakers on the field." Like that that's the biggest issue. There's playmakers all up and down the roster, especially at the wide receiver position, and now they're getting an opportunity. And it's it's going to be tough to break into that depth chart because there's a bunch of dudes who can play. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I like Jay Brunel as a receiver. I really mm-hmm. do. I, I think he could be a really, really good receiver. It's just there's so many guys in the room. There's, there's going to be some good receivers that end up not playing or transferring yeah. out. I mean, that, it's kind of like right. Joe, when Joe Burrow left Ohio State. You know, How did they miss on Joe Burrow? Well, because Dwayne Haskins was there, and he was right. pretty freaking good too. Yeah, Dwayne Haskins' talent – the reason Dwayne Haskins isn't successful in the NFL isn't a lack of talent. It's – all up here sure you know but but that's what happens when you recruit really well and and for a couple years prior to this they had recruited very well so it's going to be difficult i'm i'm going to skip his next question because vince i i i have to ask this question this might be the favorite question i've ever seen anyone ask on this wow that's saying something okay 
If you were to play Coach Kelly in a video game, which Notre Dame team would you choose to show him how you could have run the offense better than he did last year? And do you think you'd win the game? Number one, I would never be so presumptuous as to sit there and say, I could run it better than you can. Uh, never have said that, never would say that. Do I think there are ways that they can run it better? Yes, and and that's my job as an analyst, but I would never be so uh, arrogant as to say, I would have run it better than you. Having said that, I would hope that Brian Kelly's almost 60. I'm 42. I grew up on playing NCAA, right? If I can't beat him in a video game, yeah, good point. I'm sorry. Then I just I have lost all respect for myself. You're gonna have to turn in that man, that that <laughs> man card of our age. Group yes, yes. I agree with you. That was my I will go-to have let game. Let down too. our entire generation <laughs> if That's I can't beat Ryan right. Kelly in a video game. It's facts, facts. So uh, I apologize if I'm drinking some tea right now because my my throat's been a little jacked up. But yeah, I would never be so presumptuous to. And I hope people understand the difference between being an analyst and offer offering critical uh, evaluations based on what I see from the team, what I've studied from other sure. programs, what I have went through as a coach and saying, Oh, I could do it better than you. No, I, I think Brian Kelly could win a national championship at Notre Dame. And Absolutely. these are some things that I would like to see him do. <clears throat> Every great coach gets counsel from different places. And that's what I hope to be able to bring to Brian Kelly, not to say step aside, I'm going to step in and do all of it better than you. Right, that's right. nonsense, and that's never behind it. And and I've had people mention – I've had someone else mention that before. I think, Michael, I like his question, but I've had somebody else mention it in, on the YouTube channel this week in a way that was not so complimentary. Mm-hmm. And it's just, to me, Michael, you're, I'm not – this isn't to you, Michael, but when people look at it from a negative, that's that's petty. That's You don't know how to engage me in a conversation, so you just resort to insults. And, you know, th- that it is what it is, but – uh, I love that question um, about that. And here's another interesting question about Coach Kelly. And then, and then we're going to get through Michael's questions because he was here early, Vance, like hey, 15 what? minutes ago, man, with questions. I love it. Is there any chance Booster's influence? And I want to get your thoughts on this first, Vince. Is there any chance Booster's influenced uh, Brian Kelly moving to a run first throw to the tight end offense? It seem, I seem to recall that when he first came to Notre Dame, the fan base complained he threw too much, now not enough. And that's always going to be the case. If Brian Kelly goes back out next year and Notre Dame scores 43 points a game and they only run for 190 yards and they throw for 300-plus yards, there's going to be a large segment of the fan base, and there's a particular website out there uh, that that uh, that you and I know both know what we're talking about where it doesn't matter if Brian Kelly wins a national championship. They're going to complain. They're going to put up a billboard. You know, because sure. uh, he's not tall enough or didn't <laughs> run enough or whatever else they're going to complain about. Right. So um, that's that's always going to be the case. But he did catch a lot of flack because there's this group of Notre Dame fans that that believe that you have to win it a certain way, meaning no scoreboard, grass field, nothing in the end zones and all this kind of stuff that has nothing to do with How the Notre Dame tradition. So yeah. back to the original question. Yeah. Do you think there was, you know, whether it be boosters or former coaches or other influences that led Brian Kelly to that decision? I have my opinion, Vince, but I want to hear yours first. Well, you know, it's interesting because I think, you know, and we've talked about this before as well. His big philosophy change came when he played Alabama in the title game in 2012. Right. And I think his philosophy change came more from that than it did from boosters. Now, I will Mm -hmm. say, you know, one of the major things that you have to do as the head coach of Notre Dame is you got to go talk to these people, right? right? You got to go to the touchdown clubs and you got to go this and that. And when you hear 
things over and over and over and over, it tends to start to seep in. And I get that. I, I do. I, I don't Especially when you lose 42 to 14 to a team doing yeah. it the way everyone's yes. complaining that you should do it. Absolutely. And so there might be a small part of that. I think more of it comes from the Alabama thing right. than it does from the boosters. But look, he's human. You, you hear something enough, it, it's going to seep in a little bit. Um, so I think that there is a little bit to that. But I think more of it came from the Alabama thing than so, from boosters. So would you say you you think it was more of a of a not necessarily a a thing he would have acknowledged, but more of a just you hear it enough and it just kind of sinks you in. You get hammered yeah. enough with the same thing no, over I th- and over. I think it's the Bama thing. Yeah. I, I think he hadn't been embarrassed mm-hmm. by that in a very long time. Yeah. Um. And and uh, I think that had a big impact on it. This is the this this is the big dog. This is who we're chasing. Right. And I'm hoping that he has the same impact now, but they figured out a little yeah. bit quicker. Uh, John Klimek asks us, the receivers are there for sure. Getting the playmakers the ball and having a quarterback play calling to get them the ball is what I is what I can't wait to see. You and me both, brother, and thank you so much for the uh, the super chat. I mean, I just, you know, John, I just kind of have this feeling. It, it's like, remember how bad Notre Dame was on defense in the last two years of the Charlie Weiss era? And everybody talked about how well Notre Dame doesn't have a good doesn't have good players and all this other kind of stuff. They can't get a good defense. They can't get right. a good defensive line. Right. Blah 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 blah. And yeah. then Bob Diaco shows up and they have a top twenty five scoring defense his first two years after having an abysmal scoring defense a year before. And then in twenty twelve they have an elite defense with basically a lot of the same players that Charlie Weiss had recruited. Yep, we saw it again on the Brian Ben Order era. Uh, Notre Dame went from being a top twenty five scoring defense every year had that number two scoring defense in 2012 to two years later, just two years later under Brian Van Gorder, they're giving up almost 30 a game. Right. And they went through a stretch of three years where in 2012, they had the best run defense Notre Dame had had in a long time. I think they were under 100 yards per game until the title game, I believe. And then you have the worst three years stretch of, of run defense and in program history, that's courtesy of Lou Samoji. So if Lou said it, it's true. It's gotta be true. He said, and I'm serious about that. He I said, know you are. Because I was at I was at BGI at the time, and Lou said this is the worst three-year stretch of run defense in Notre Dame history. And then he leaves and you bring in a brand new staff, you know, a couple brand new coaches with the same players, and all of a sudden you're pretty darn good on defense again. Right. So right. I believe that this this notion of the Jimmies and Joes are all that matter is is true to an extent. Right, but it gets overhyped. People have taken a hyperbolic comment and turned it into a complete reality. Sure, and that's why coaches who take over bad programs win, or vice versa. Because yes, it's the players. You have to have the players, but you right. have to be able to coach those players up. Exactly, and and that's why we saw changes when Elko and Lee came, <clears throat> even though it was the same players. Right, and that's what I'm excited back back to John's question is that's what I'm excited about about this offense because I do believe the talent is there. and I may be wrong and and we may find out this year that I'm wrong Vince but I believe the talent is there at wide receiver running back and tight end for Notre Dame to have one of the 5 to 10 best offenses in the entire country. Well here let me put this up here then cuz you're it, it goes into right what you're talking about right Richard says do you think Notre Dame will be able to achieve a 10 win season with so much turnover on offense? Absolutely. Absolutely. Cuz that's what the good teams do and and that's where look that's the thing that I'm ex- that's the thing that has been so good about what Brian Kelly has done at Notre Dame because it's almost kind of like okay just start at 10 and 2 and mm-hmm. let's see if they can do better than that. But 10 and 2 is the bar now and I agree. You know from the 2017 team, you know you lost you, Quentin Nelson, Mike McGlinchey, uh you you lost some pretty darn good players from that team, right? And then Equinemy St. Brown, 
then you go out to 2018 and Jerry Tiller becomes an All-American. You have Drew Tranquil. You have Tavon Coney. Julian Love's an All-American. Uh, and then you lose you lose those guys, right? All those guys are gone. And then in 2019, your defense doesn't miss a beat. Asmar Bilal steps up. Troy Pride becomes a really good player. You lose Troy Pride. You lose Osmar. You lose the two safeties that were part of such good defenses for the last previous two seasons and Alohi Gilman and Jalen Elliott. And then you come out and you don't miss a beat on defense, right? That's what good teams do. You know, let's not forget in 2011, Notre Dame lost Michael Floyd and Harrison Smith. Yeah. Those are pretty darn good football players. And in the next year, they went from eight and five to 12 and zero. So I think that's what good teams do, Richard. And I understand the concern. I don't think that we should expect Notre Dame to be this juggernaut that beats Florida State 70 to seven in the opener. Uh, but I do expect them to still be a 10-win team this year. I think that is where this program is. That's why you recruit the positions that you do. And the position that Notre Dame loses the most is the position that they recruit the easiest. And they have the most depth of talent. It's offensive line. So if you can't still put together a top 10 offensive line, then there's a much bigger problem than the, the turnover from a player standpoint. So I do expect it. And part of it is because, look, Richard, to your point, they had they, they had a great O-line and, and a veteran quarterback last year that didn't make mistakes, right? And that's the thing about Ian Book. Ian was not going to get you beat by a team you weren't supposed to lose to. And if you if Notre Dame had better talent than you, you were going to win that game. That's right. And That's right. and and Ian would do what he had to do to, to do it. And then, of course, you had a great defense and a great offensive line. Well, I expect the defense to be just as good. I I don't think the offensive line is going to be as good. No one in their right mind with no one that to me, the only way you can expect the offensive line to be as good or better is if you kind of have an agenda and you're looking to set up an argument to bash Coach Quinn after the season because they weren't as good. Right. 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 And I can but, see that. I could yeah. totally see that from some people. Right. No question. But there's right. talent there. There, right. There's talent. You should still be it. at least a top 10 offensive line. In Absolutely. And then improving next year because you're going right. to have most of those guys back. Right. But yeah. now the skill should be better. Kyron's going into his second year Absolutely. as the starter. Chris Tyree's now a sophomore. Michael Mayer's now a sophomore. Kevin, Brayden Lindsay's supposedly going to be healthy. Jordan Johnson, Xavier Watts are sophomores. Right. Avery Davis had a saw a big jump, and I think there's another jump there for him to have. And, and then, of course, you bring in some good freshmen. So now it's the offensive line had to pick up for the lack of playmakers that you chose to put on the field last year. Uh, you like how I did that, Vince? I did. I, I, and I, now it's up to those playmakers <laughs> to step up and say, hey, look, our boys up front are going to need some time. So yes. it, until they get caught up to speed, it's up to us to go make plays. We have to make sure we're bringing it and making plays. And it's very and easy to do that. From a play calling standpoint, and from a from a um, an offensive game plan standpoint, right. you, I'm not saying you hide your offensive line because they don't need to be hidden. They have talent. Okay, mm -hmm. but you can help them. Yeah. Right. I mean, you don't have to run straight at teams the entire game. I mean, right. you know, there's ways to help out your offensive line, right. and RPO system is one major way to do that. Right. We've talked about right. that. And I got a couple other things I'm working on now, Vince, about play action passes and, and perimeter, you know, short game, perimeter screen game, where I'm drawing some data to show that there's some areas where Notre Dame can continue to take advantage. Sure. Justin Herwick uh, says, any rumblings about Hunter Spears, talented ah. four-star that moved from D, line, D to O-line in the past that was said that he was big, strong, and pushing the players ahead of him? Is he headed for the portal? Um, so if you look, watch closely at yesterday's practice video, and bless you, Vince, and bless you again. You only get two, okay? Um, third one's on you. Did you hear um, that? I was trying to mute myself. Yeah, I know you muted yourself. I just saw okay. you. Uh, either okay. that or you were T-bowing. I wasn't sure which one it was. Uh, very good. Um, very good. Uh, but uh, he was actually in in 
basically workout clothes. So he's not practicing right now. That's why we're not hearing about him. I don't. There, right. I'm, I'm assuming there's some sort of injury that he's working through. Uh, so that's why we're not hearing about about him. I, I would. I don't know if I. I'm not going to say he's headed for the portal because I don't know the circumstances of his situation. Perhaps it's a, it's a deal where he's got some medical issues that are going to end up causing lose his career. He could go to the portal. I mean, there's a lot of things I could assume, but sure. the answers I don't know the answers. So. Right. I'm not going to assume, but he has not been practicing. That's why we haven't heard anything about him. Um, and same thing for Ryan Barnes, the uh, the freshman corner. I think he's just now kind of getting back the last couple of practices. He missed the first couple of practices as well, and that's why we haven't heard a lot about him. Um, Super Irish fan, fan one, uh, I believe – Defense will will live up um, will live up there and live up there. And do you think the offense can do enough to have a great season by scoring thirty five plus points, Vince? I want you to address this two ways, Vince. Number one, what is the number that you have set for the the standard that you think they need to get to? And then answer Super Irish fans' question if you could. Well, it's funny because I think that number needs to be thirty five plus. I, I think thirty five is the basement um, of where this team needs to be, and you know, where were they at last year, Brian? 33. 33. Mm-hmm. I would actually set the bar even a little bit higher than that. I think they need because I mean, they, the they were 36. They were 36 in 2019. 36.1. Yeah, they need to be in the high 30s. I want to say 40, to be perfectly honest with you. If that number has a four in front of it, I feel very good about what Notre Dame is doing yeah. uh, offensively. I, they just, if they want to compete, if they want to compete with the big boys, they've got to be in the 40s. Mm-hmm. And so I, I realize I just talked myself above where uh, I started in the same sentence, but it, they need to be in the forties. Yeah. Uh, even if it's the low forties, I'm okay with that. Um, but they need to be, they need to score about a touchdown more than they have been on average, on average, yeah. on average. Right. And they and, have the schedule this year to do that yeah. in my opinion as well. So if they're in the forties, I like where they're at. Can they get there? Absolutely. They yeah. have the talent to get there. I think if Jack Cohn ends up being the starter, I think he's going to push the ball down the field. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do believe that I think it, when, and we've seen RPOs in our little three minute clip, it gets me so excited. <laughs> we've seen it. We've heard coach Kelly talking about how they need to focus on scoring yeah. more. So everything we're that hearing, is an answer to me, Vince, yes. which is like, I didn't even ask him that question. Right. And he just started talking about it. So that made me, it's like, so clearly it's on his mind that, sure. so I was happy to, I was happy. Absolutely. The only time he's ever not answered, and he kind of does that a decent amount with me, yeah. which I understand because sometimes I ask questions that, you know, maybe as a head coach, I wouldn't want to answer the way sure. that I'm asking it. Sure. Um, but I, that was the one time I'm like, I'm really glad he didn't answer my question the way that I wanted him to answer my question because his answer was so much better. Right. It was so much better. Yeah, absolutely. And I, so it's clearly on his mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have the talent to do it. And, and if Drew Pine's the quarterback, I think he can do it too. I, I don't. Yeah. The quarterback isn't the issue. I, right. I really don't think it's the philosophy. And it sounds like, and it appears from the limited scope that we see that it is something that they're talking about. It's something yeah. that they're thinking about. So I feel very good about it. As I sit here on April 9th, uh, I feel good about the direction yeah. of the offense. And I think they can get in the forties. I really do. I think the reason 40 is the number for me, number one, not just looking at the other teams around the country. And and that's just where they are. The teams that are competing for titles are scoring in the forties. You know, the only exceptions being a couple of the Alabama teams uh, have been in the 38 plus Clemson, I think was like 38, 39 in 2016. Their 2018 team was like 44. Those Alabama teams were playing elite defense, but even Nick Saban knew that wasn't sustainable, which right. is why he's changed. I mean, exactly. Alabama's worst year under uh, since, since their first title in 09, their worst scoring year 
was this past year. They gave him 19 over 19 points a game for Nick Saban. Right. That's got to be like borderline. Like, I just don't want to do this anymore. Like hyperbolically, because that's what he, that's what he's always done. I mean, they're, they're used to holding teams. Like one year they won a title. They held teams to under 10 points a game. And this was their most dominant Crazy. team. This was the most point. The biggest margin average margin of victory that they had was this year, despite having their worst scoring defense. Because that's just the nature of the game. The reason I say forty is that number for me. If they're up, if they're above thirty-eight, I'm feeling good about it. Right. If they get to forty, the reason I say forty because that is that that number is um, trying to slant. It's it, you can score like okay. For example, they scored thirty-six in two thousand nineteen. That was an inflated number to me. Right. Because they scored sixty-six against New Mexico and fifty-nine against Bowling Green. You take those two games out, and it's a different it's a different animal. No question. And whereas if you take those kind of games away from Clemson and Alabama, they're still scoring around forty plus. They're still scoring forty plus points a game. And so, to me, that's why if you're at forty, you take those two games out, you're still where I want you to be. Sure, absolutely. Around thirty eight plus. But the other part of it too is those those other teams get to those points by beating up on bad teams too correct i mean that's all part correct. of the average but right? my thing right but my thing is if you take those out those teams are still scoring 40 plus points a game whereas notre dame's not even sniffing it i think the other part of this too vince for me is it's it's also about what are you doing against the better teams exactly you know because if you look at notre dame they haven't really scored a lot against the better teams 2017 they scored 19 against georgia they scored eight against Miami. Even in the win over LSU, who had a great defense, they scored 21 and needed to kind of come back and do that. Uh, 20, 2019, that was 20, excuse me, that was 2017. And then 2018, you know, they, they scored 24 against Michigan, which is a decent number, but, you know, Ohio State scored over 60 on Michigan, that same <laughs> Michigan team. Right. You know, and, and, and then 2019, they scored 14 against Michigan. They scored 17 against Georgia. Then you get to 2020, and you know when they play a healthy Clemson te- or healthy Clemson team, they get to 10. Seven of those came in the last end of the game, and then to get against Alabama, they scored 14. So it's it's even more than just the points per game. It's also don't score 45 against everybody else, and then go for 14 against Clemson. Absolutely. It's yeah. you got to at least get into the 20s to give your defense a chance. Exactly. You know to make that stop. Like if you look at the 2018 and, and the 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 game where they lost in the Cotton Bowl. If it's 30 to 24, defense just needs to make one fourth quarter stop to give your offense a chance to win it. And defense has done that several times. They did it against Georgia both times where they gave the offense multiple opportunities late in the game to go win it, and they couldn't get it done. Uh, Super Irish fan also said, and thank you for what you do. Hey, look, thank you guys for being a part of it because otherwise it's just me and Vince talking to ourselves. And and we'd still probably do that, but it wouldn't be nearly as much fun. Uh, we wouldn't be able to pay the mortgage with it, and our wives wouldn't allow us to do it for very much longer. Um, here's another one from Super Irish Fan One Who do you think the breakout star, star Vince, is going to be on offense and defense based on what you what you know of right now? You know, this is this is an interesting one, and you know, I'm sure everybody's looking for guys that are going to catch the ball and, and do do things with the ball. So if that was the case, I'm going with Xavier Watts. I, I think he's going to be special this you year. He's going to be a star. Okay, that's interesting. I, one. Okay. I, I, I like it. Be, I think he could be a breakout star uh, because I because I think that uh, teams are going to focus on uh, Austin when he's in. Uh, I think they're going to focus on Braden Lindsay when he's in. And I think a guy like Xavier Watts could capitalize off of a lot of one-on-one coverage, a lot of, hey, don't worry about 82, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and so I, I think he could be the guy on offense. 
You know, defensively, that's really interesting. I want to go Cam Hart because I love me some Cam Hart. We've talked about him uh, a bunch at corner. Uh, I think he could be really, really good just with his length and his athleticism, uh, depending on where he ends up, uh, whether he's a starter or whether he's a rotational guy. Still, we don't know. Um, But I think he could be real special on defense. So I'll I'll go with those two guys. And obviously, we're assuming that we, we both count Kyle Hamilton as already as a star. Exactly. Right. I mean, yeah, he I was an that, All-American last year. Yeah, that was I'm, I'm, you know, to me, I think Chris Tyree is going to have a breakout season as a number two back. I think sure. he's going to have over 1,200 yards of total offense, but I wouldn't necessarily call him a star because I still think Kyron Williams is going to be their better, their their most productive back. So I'm going to go with breakout star. You may disagree with me on this, Vince. I'm going Avery Davis. Okay. I just have this feeling that Avery is just going to have a Big year. And, and it won't be like a thousand yards because I think the ball is going to get spread around too much. But I think he is just going to be a I just have this feeling that they're going to do what we're hoping they're going to do. And that's just use him all over. Put him in the backfield. Let him throw. Because, you know, he starts doing some fun things like that. And all of a sudden he starts getting on Sports Center. All of a sudden they start talking about on college game day. And all of a sudden he becomes a name. Yeah, you're and right. That to me is part of being a star. Part yeah, of being good. a star is not just are you a good player, but sure. are people talking about you? And so that's why I kind of look at Avery Davis. And, and then also his story is awesome. And yeah. the kid could have transferred three times. Came to Notre Dame play quarterback. And right. they moved him 43 times before Absolutely. he finally started a receiver. Yeah. He could have had so many reasons to leave, and he never did. He stuck yeah. at it and kept competing and competing. And in an era where transferring is more acceptable than ever, yep. he could have left, but he didn't. So I think all those things are why I put him in that star category. Defense is easy for me. It's Jason Adamiola. I'm riding that horse until you I'm right. Riding that one, baby. I'm right. riding it until I'm wrong. Okay. <laughs> so that, there you go. That's who I'm going with. I love it. Um, l- l- here we go. Uh, what are your thoughts on uh, Lindsey and Austin? How, how is Lindsey and Austin? Austin is out this spring. He will not be practicing. Lindsey, Brayden Lindsey has been healthy. And look, as I said before spring, there's one. My line of success for Brayden Lindsey is what would a successful spring brief be for Brayden Lindsey? He's at every practice. That's it. That because I know he can ball. It, yeah. There's no See, question to me that he can ball. It's is he going to yeah. be healthy enough to be to be able to play to his potential? If right. He's in every practice. That's successful to me. I don't care if we see a single highlight clip in practice from Braden Lindsay. As long as I talk to source and they say, yeah, he was a practice today, then cool. He had a good practice. Yeah. <laughs> making catches on uh, the yeah. little highlight reel. Yeah, um, we've seen him make a couple. He had a deep ball. Him and Jack Cohn hooked up yeah. for a deep ball in one, and then he, he caught a ball over the middle from Drew Pine yesterday. Yeah. Looked like an in cut. Um, Connor Patton, this is a good one, Vince. Here's a real good one, and oh, I think I know your answer for this one. Here we go. <laughs> you can list. You have to stop at three, okay? Because right. I know your list is a lot longer than mine. In the uh, this is a great question. In the past or present of college football. Do you have a coach or team who you love to hate? Okay. So I'm a little bit too young to hate Miami. Okay. I, lo- I loved my, I did not hate Miami. I, I, I'm just saying, from, Notre Dame fan, from a Notre Dame fan perspective, because when they won the 88 title, I was seven. So I was a little bit too young to hate things at that point, uh, outside of like, you know, Brussels sprouts and things. So my hatred, as far as from a Notre Dame fan standpoint, can't stand USC. Uh, I had a cousin who went to USC. It just fueled that fire, baby. Uh, can't stand the Trojans, and I can't stand Michigan. I, mm-hmm. I, I and and Jim Harbaugh would be at the top of the list for me uh, as far as coaches to hate. <clears throat> I'm just not a fan of the the khakis and all that. Just not a fan of Jim Harbaugh. I can't stand Michigan. 
And I am not afraid to say it. Now, all things Michigan, I'm not a fan of. You know what, Vince? Jim Harbaugh has made it harder to hate Michigan because it's almost really? like I feel sorry for Oh, him. I will never feel sorry for Michigan. Ever, 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 <laughs> ever, ever. Sorry. I feel sorry for Jim Harbaugh. <laughs> I, I think there's something going on there that's a little deeper than just he's a bad coach. We'll see. Right. Uh, Michigan fine. is the program that I grew up hating. I, yeah. I didn't hate USC. You know, and this is the thing you're – to me, I believe like your hatred comes from from either one you have you grew up in a home where your parents hated a, a program. Sure, my dad was a Notre Dame fan in Norfolk, Virginia. There there was no rivalry to him. It just he loved Notre Dame. There was sure. no anti USC, anti Michigan hate or anything like that. It just he loved Notre Dame, and that's how I became a Notre Dame fan. Which actually, let's go ahead and get to this. Um, Gabe Weiss, how did you become a Notre Dame fan? So for me. It, it And I think it's relative to this question. For me, it was my dad was a Notre Dame fan, sure. and I grew up in Northwest Ohio. My dad was from Norfolk, Virginia, but he, he grew up watching Notre Dame games on because, you know, Norfolk, Virginia, they didn't have college football back in the 70s. I mean, there was no team that anybody – I don't even know if Virginia Tech was even a Division One team yet. They might have just started there. Good point. But, you know, he didn't care about Virginia. He was an NFL fan, Washington Redskins – or it was the Washington Redskins at the time – and uh, but he was a Notre Dame fan because he would listen to the Sunday replays of Lindsey Nelson. And he used to tell me, like, you know, oh, moving forward and, you know, in the game or something like that. You know, he, that's who became a fan. And then when I was a kid, I liked Notre Dame because of my dad. But it wasn't until like 87, 88 that they started getting kind of good. And then I just then I was 10 and then I was hooked. I mean, yeah. when I watched Rocket and Tony Rice in 88, I was like, yep, I'm done. That's my squad, you know, uh, and, and I just fell in love with them. But I didn't have like USC. I didn't hate because again in Ohio, you don't really. And I wasn't surrounded by any other Notre Dame fans that I could share my hatred sure. with. There was no internet back then. You know, Al Gore hadn't invented it yet. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help myself. Um, you know, so there, there just there wasn't anybody I could talk Notre Dame with except my dad, sure. and he didn't hate any teams, so I didn't hate any teams. But then as I kind of got older. I was surrounded by Ohio State fans. So I, I came not to like that fan base, but I never hated Ohio State. Fair. But I came to hate Michigan because Michigan fans are the worst. The Now, I've been told from people I know in L.A. that USC fans are pretty good, but I don't experience that. Like, I haven't experienced sure. that. Plus, I when I was a kid, Notre Dame punished USC when I was a kid. <clears throat> I mean, they beat USC every year when I was a kid. So it's like, how do you hate a team that you beat all the time? Like it's like, or how can like Ohio that? State fans hate Michigan? It's like, they don't even matter to you anymore. Like right. Purdue has won as many games against you the last 10 years as Michigan has, you know? Uh, so I just don't have that hatred for USC. I hate Michigan because I think their fan base and for football is just really just strikes my nerves. And I just dislike that fan base. And then I didn't, I respected Lloyd Carr. I respected Bo Beckler. So it was more of a fan base thing, sure. but I have, come to dislike them even more since Jim Harbaugh arrived because he just annoys the mess out of me. So that's kind of that's kind of where I'm at. And and the other non the non Notre Dame program that I grew up hating, which is kind of interesting, I love Jamel Holloway, but I hated Oklahoma. I just there's something about Barry Switzer that just made me that's despise Oklahoma. I didn't like the boss. I like the boss now, you know. Uh, I love his commercials. I think they're awesome, but I hated him in college. Uh, I, I hate it because, like, they were the wannabe Miami. Like, Miami was the yeah. renegade program, but Miami actually won. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oklahoma won a title before I really f was old enough to, you know, know it. When I was coming up, Oklahoma was that team that would talk all the trash and then go play Miami and get curb stomped. 
You know, I just I hated Oklahoma. I did. I really disliked Oklahoma. How'd you become a Notre Dame fan, Vince? I hate to say it because this is going to sound really sad, but it's just because they were in my backyard. Um, You know, I grew up in the area and it was Notre Dame everything. And my my parents were not sports fans in any way. Um, And so I kind of had to search out my own uh, sports loves and, and things of that nature. And uh, Notre Dame was, was literally in my backyard. And I, I went to a Catholic high school, a Catholic grade school. And so it just, it felt right. And then when I got a little bit older, you know, middle school, high school, then my friends had extra tickets. And so I would go to games and things like that. And so I just became a fan mm-hmm. and, um, it, it was literally because they were close to me, but then I became immersed in it. And I, right. I probably started following the team uh, in the early 90s. Uh, okay. You know, that 92, 93, that whole era uh, is what sucked me in. Uh, that's when I really started to follow uh, the team. Like I said, I would go to games when I was in high school and, and, and things of that nature and follow them when I went off to college and things like And I went to Holy Cross for my first two years back when it was a two-year school. So I was in the student section and doing all – the fun stuff that uh, Notre Dame and St. Mary's and Holy Cross students get to do. Uh, So that's when it really became like, you know, when I pretended like I was a student, Uh, you know, going to Holy Cross. (laughs) You were, you were Rudy. Yeah, yeah, there was. Um, And so that, that's how I became a fan. And then, you know, kind of backed my way into doing media stuff. So that's when I really started following the team as well. So, you know what um, I'd love to see Vince, I'd love to see people in the comments and and we'll put these up as we go through the show. You tell us why you became a Notre Dame fan. Absolutely. Leave, leave it in the comments and we'll show cuz I I cuz every story seems to be different, you yep. know, and, and that's what I love and that's what I think makes Notre Dame unique. Most Ohio State Ohio State fans, well why why did you grow up Ohio State fan? Well, it's just what you do and you live in Ohio. I mean, I grew up in Ohio. It's just uh, why are you Ohio State fan? Oh, my dad was. Well, why was he? Right. Uh, his dad was. Well, why was he? Well, his dad was. Woody and all this Three yards in a cloud of dust, which is the dumbest football expression ever because it gets you to fourth and one. <laughs> so, True, but then you go for it and you I get guess, it by two yards. I guess. Okay. Um, but uh, at least he could win titles. Michigan Michigan couldn't. Uh, at least they got a half of one in my lifetime, a half of one. Uh, but uh, yeah, leave us kind of how you became a Notre Dame fan. I always find those stories very fascinating. You know, and I'll tell you what, Vince, you talked about the early 90s. I was in the 80s and 90s, I thought my life of sports fandom was just going to be wonderful i grew up in the 80s and 90s a fan of the notre dame the boston celtics the cincinnati reds and the denver broncos so in a a, a 12 year span i had i mean multiple well, again this, a lot of it was my dad the denver broncos is the only one that wasn't because of my dad i just saw a sports illustrated cover of john elway when i was a little kid this is my dad says and i was like that's my dude i don't know what it was but i mean i couldn't tell you but um so, you know, you had all those super, you had all the three NBA titles that I remember. Well, two, I remember two of the titles for the Celtics in the 80s. I was too young for the first one. Uh, you know, the, so they were great. The Reds won the World Series in 1990, swept the A's. Notre Dame wins the title in 88 for about a five year period. It was Notre Dame and Miami were the two premier programs. The Broncos were going to a lot of Super Bowls, losing, but then by the late 90s, they won the two Super Bowls. And then ever since then, it's like I got like one NBA championship and one Super Bowl and a whole bunch of nothing. So I was teased as a child. It was definitely not nearly as much fun now as it was then. You were. Um, a couple, I'm getting a couple of these questions. Mason asked this, uh, and I've seen a couple other people. Yes, I do expect Notre Dame to get a commitment today. 
Uh, not going to dive into who, cause y'all know how I am. I'm not giving that away, but it's someone that I'm excited about and I'm curious to see how the fan base is going to react. But yes, I do expect the commitment. I don't expect it to happen during our show, but I do expect them to get a commitment. Uh, Dylan Hoffman also asked of it. So here's the thing. So Notre Dame has this new thing where it's kind of like their Notre Dame bat signal. And that's their kind of their new thing of if, if they think some good news is coming, you're going to, you see that bat signal that the Notre Dame coaches put out. I think it's kind of cool. Um, you see them put that out. That's usually a sign that that some some good news is coming, or they just got some good news, and we're going to find out about yeah, it right, soon. Right, right. Dylan Hoffman asks ninety six one. That's the WSBT Sports Beat. I'm on there uh, every Tuesday and Thursday at five twenty five. Check it out. You can actually download the app, which is pretty cool. You spoke about Tyson Ford possibly moving to a three technique. Could you see Notre Dame taking? Tyson Ford, Aiden Guevara, Darren Agu, and Ernest R.J. Cooper. Can you explain which would be Viper versus SDE? That's the big end position. I could see that. I hope that's not who they take. I personally would not want to see Notre Dame take R.J. Cooper. He's just, for me, he's just not a guy that I view as the same caliber as some of those other players. Um, He is, to me, not a guy that I view as... I know he's ranked really high by one of the services, but for me, I just don't see that. I do think he's a guy that could grow into a three technique. I would rather them not take two DNs that could potentially grow into three techniques. So I'd rather them focus on either landing number one, Anthony Lucas. And if you can't get him, then getting, um, uh, uh, gosh, I can't, I'm drawing a blank here, but uh, uh, Caleb Artis, there you go. Uh, so I'd rather them do that. And, and to me in that group, I see Ford as a power end. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. As a pure end, I see Gabera as a guy that could end up doing both, and he's been a monster as a junior. And then to me, Agu would be a, a viper. Uh, Cooper would be a power end as well that could potentially grow into a three technique because Vince, he's got like that really big, you know, who he reminds me of, he reminds me of Capron Lewis Moore in high school. Remember Cap was like 6'4", 240 coming out of Texas. I think it was from Weatherford, Texas. And he was like 6'4", 240, but you could just see like that big, big head, broad sure. shoulders. You could just knew he was going to kind of blow up and he carried 300 pounds easily. And that's kind of how I see from, from Ernest Cooper. I see him being a very similar, similar type of player. So that's that's how I would I would go with that one. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. 
We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcast. All right. Got uh, this one, Vince. Yep. I think you're going to go with that one. Yep. How do uh, these are cornerback from Arizona, Benjamin Morrison and Jaden Bellamy compare uh, to the higher ranked DBs we hear more about? Jaden Bellamy is from uh, Bergen Catholic in New Jersey. I actually like Benjamin Morrison more than I do Jaden Bellamy. I, I think Benjamin Morrison is a step below, you know, guys like Kamari Rogers. But I actually like if, if Notre Dame ended up with a corner class of Benjamin Morrison and Jaden Mickey, I'd say that's a good corner class. Not. Not elite, not not great. That's a good corner class. And then you combine it with last year's corner class. I like it even more because it's very complimentary. Because when I look at Benjamin Morrison, I see he's a cover player. Sure. Like he's not that big, long guy. He's a cover player. Jaden Bellamy, to me, I don't view as a, a guy that Notre Dame should take right now. Um, he's kind of a – he's Vince, he's kind of got a corner's body but a safety game. Okay. And I just don't feel like he's necessarily that needle mover unless they kind of view him as maybe that nickel guy. I think that's where you could maybe see him be effective. But to me, you, got, um, you take at the end if you've got a spot available kind of thing or yeah, you just wait. If you miss on sure. some other guys then you then you maybe get him then. And if you gotcha. don't get him and you miss on him, there's other guys like him sure. out there. Gotcha. That's that's kind of where where I where I see it from now. Um, so to me, I just, I, Benjamin Morrison, I, I view as a guy that you take, I don't view that the same way as, as Bellamy. I, I think you and I, <clears throat> we got another one here from Dylan. Uh, I think you and I have a, a similar opinion on this. Um, and so I'll, I'll go ahead and, and jump in the strongest position group of the defense. It's gotta mm. be the defensive line. I, I, mm-hmm. I just think that they're the deepest. Uh, they have the most talent from top to bottom. And I, I, of course, the best player on the defense is Kyle Hamilton, the safety position. Mm-hmm. The problem is it's the depth. And I, I like the cornerback position. It's just I need to see it. I need to see right. I, I need to see them in game action. There's just a lot of question marks there. Um, I think the linebacking core is going to be good, but the the defensive line, man, I think has the chance to be by far the best position group on this defense right now. I think it has a chance to be the best position group on the team. Yeah. Now it's it's got a ways to go, and running back is going to be hard to hard to pass up sure. as a group. But it's got a chance. Now here's the question, Vince. I'm going to go a little further on you. Okay. What is the better part of the defensive line, the tackles or the ends? Ooh, man. Because I mean, it's hard to argue with you on the defensive line <clears throat> part. I think sure. I think that's clearly the best. Because again, he said position group, so we're not talking about best player. That's Kyle Hamilton. Correct. Position group, I I think that um, I think I, uh, dive on, to make it a little bit more interesting. Is it tackle or is it end? Yeah, the the uh, the interior is going to be really really good. Uh, I feel like, man, this is really good. <laughs> well. I'll give you my answer, and you tell me if you agree with me. Okay, all right. And uh, for me, I think the tackles are the better position now, partly because there's higher ceilings. A little bit more proven. We know what and guys can the, do. That's the key is the they're more proven right, right now. They have more experience. I think that the ends have the higher ceilings. Right. There's no Isaiah Foskey at defensive tackle, in my opinion. Sure. Um, you know, Jordan Patelho could be that guy. Uh, I love the freshmen, although they're not going to play. In, I think hopefully they don't play a whole lot in 2021. But I think with Justin Adamiola, with Myron Tungavaloa now being there, uh, with Nana has been flashing in, in these videos. I mean, again, 
as we said, day one, don't put too much stock into those, but it's better to see him flashing than to not see him flashing. Right. You know, he could be a key that could really solidify this thing. But if Jordan Patelho and, and Nana can kind of have good off seasons and now you put them into the rotation, I feel, I feel really, really good. I agree. I, I, I think that right now I would say the interior, but I think the ceiling is higher for the defensive end. So I'm, I'm with you on that one for sure. Yeah. Here's All just right. a, a comment from David. Um, uh, agree, 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 agree. I don't think it would have mattered. They wouldn't have won the game, but I think they'd have had a better shot. Because, again, the game plan was still – And that's that's the know. key. Because it doesn't matter if you have those guys out on the field. They they weren't going to go to them. I mean, it, it it is what it was. I mean, if they have a different game plan, then, yeah, they could have helped against Alabama. But with the game plan that was in place, with the way that they were running the offense, I, I, I don't think it makes – that much of a difference to be perfectly honest with you. So I, 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 I agree that they look good now, which is obviously very, very important. Uh, but they, they, if they don't change things, it doesn't matter. Um, and so that's what we, that's what we need to see. Sorry about that, Vince. I got, uh, I got kicked out of there real quick. You know how these, uh, that's okay. Welcome back. A little touchy on these microphones. So I had a recruiting question, Vince. Do you have that queued up about the June visits? I did right here. Dylan, uh, can you talk a little bit about the expectations of the June 18 to 20 visits? Uh, a particular safety and a wide receiver visiting that weekend gets me excited. Let me. I, I just want to preface this with the fact that any visits right now are huge. Okay. The fact <laughs> okay that who's visiting? I'm excited by all of them visiting. <laughs> the fact that they're having a visit, that it is actually scheduled right yeah. now, it's huge to get yeah. kids on campus because look, everybody knows that Notre Dame is a special place. Anybody that's listening to us is going to agree with us on that. So getting these kids on campus is immense. It is huge. Now I, I do know for a fact that all the summer camps are canceled, so mm -hmm. they're not going to have an opportunity necessarily to see them do a whole lot. Uh, so it's not going to be a camp environment. It's just going to be a visit. But, man, getting them on campus is by far mm -hmm. crazy important to, you know, moving forward. Yeah. And with a lot of these guys, these visits are going to are going to determine if they're legit players. So this, I know who the safety he's talking about is. Dylan, let me know in the comments below who the receiver is. Are you talking about Tyler Morris or Nicholas uh, Anderson? I'm curious which one that you're talking about as far as the receiver that gets you excited, because I believe they're both scheduled for that weekend. But. Xavier Nwankpa, for example, I think he's going to fit in great at Notre Dame. I think he's going to like Notre Dame a lot more than than maybe some people think. And I'm excited to see him, how he reacts to that. I think that, um, you know, he's a guy that you get him on campus and all of a sudden you can close the gap on Ohio State. So that's why these visits are so important. Uh, receivers, I mean, I think Tyler Morris is a, a guy that Michigan's battling for, but I think a visit, he's been on campus before, but a visit could help put him over the edge. And, you know, he's a guy that to me would be a take right now. So I'm just looking forward to, like Vince said, visits, period. But yeah. I think visits are also important because now you start to see who is serious about you. Because if there's some kids that say, hey, I'm there in my top five, but they're not willing to schedule a visit. You know, so <laughs> like, for example, uh, Eric Rudder, we're going to have it in a story soon, but Eric Rudder talked to Kamari Rogers yesterday and he's got four official visits set and he's thinking about using Notre Dame for a fifth. Well, that automatically threw up a big red flag for me and kind of tamped down my excitement about them potentially landing Kamar Rogers, you know, because if he was real serious about wanting to come to Notre Dame, you'd think that's definitely an official that he would set up. But 
you know, so unless there's some extenuating circumstances, like he's going to come up anyway on an unofficial and he wants to use that fifth for something else, you know, that's further away. I mean, but that could be a, that could be a, a different one. Hey, Vince, here's a good one. So right, Dylan Hoffman, my great uncle gave me a Notre Dame hat autographed by Eric Parsegian when I was a kid, had no idea who he was, but as I got older, I became to educate myself. So, you know, talk about that Notre Dame, how he became Love a Notre that. Dame fan, Thomas Walsh. I appreciate you, Thomas. We know you're in all these these, and uh, really appreciate you being a part of it. And then here's his thing: we, me and Thomas, have something in common. Michigan has the worst fans they ever. Do. I hate Michigan. Lived in SoCal and many SC friends. Good rivalry and friendly ribbing. Michigan total sure. hatred. I'll tell you what. Hundred percent with you. I went to uh, a USC pep rally in Chicago when they were coming to Notre Dame. Uh, you know, in October, and I went with my cousin. Wore all my Notre Dame stuff, of course, and uh, I was surrounded by USC people, and they were really nice. I mean, they were really good people, and so I can't, you know, they had a Notre Dame guy crashing their pep rally, okay, and they were really cool about it. So I have no ill will towards USC people. Um, I just I want to beat them every time. That's really right. all there is to it. That's right. why it's, it's a, a respect. It's yeah, respect. it's a respect. Yeah, That's exactly right. Michigan That's why fans, I was on I a. Know. I was on another YouTube channel recently, and and I said I don't care about playing Michigan. If Notre Dame never plays Michigan again, fine, I don't care. I you know you want to play USC and you want to beat them, but you don't ever want to stop playing USC. Absolutely. I never want to because that's a legitimate rivalry where there's a res- you want to beat them more than anybody, but there's respect there. Absolutely correct. I I can't stand uh, Michigan, and I could care less if Notre Dame ever. I could not care less if yeah. if Notre Dame ever uh, plays them, and so. Here we go. Chief Brody. Vince must be from Michigan growing up around nauseating Michigan and Michigan State fans is the worst. Not from Michigan, but our neighborhood right now is like five minutes from the yeah. Michigan border. My wife's entire family is from Michigan. So I yeah. have a brother-in-law that went to Michigan. My father-in-law went to Michigan State. You I didn't love really all. think that one through, did you? Love them all dearly. But okay. Oh, all right. Let's get not. back to some questions. We got all some, right. we got some questions uh coming in here. So uh where where did we leave offense? Okay, are, so uh Right about uh, oh here here's one John yep. Glenn alumni what's up man hopefully that John Glenn game is for the uh, the Southern Division that's what I'm hoping mm. so we'll see <laughs> uh, had to put that out there uh, let's see okay Joel what are you more excited to see this year offense or defense Brian I don't I don't know if I could even use the word excited it's more anxious yeah. I'm more anxious to see the offense. I feel like the defense, we know what they are. They're going to be really good. I'm anxious to see what the offense is. And it, I, if, if you told me, it, Joel, if you told me that Notre Dame was going to open it up, push the tempo a little bit more, be more balanced, tack down the field, you know, have a legitimate RPO incorporation in the offense, and that they were going to use the kind of ro- the skill rotation that, that I'm hearing they're going to use, if you tell me all those things are true, it's offense by 100 miles. Yeah. Because that is the final thing holding Notre Dame Agreed. back, and that's Agreed. the thing that if no, if Coach Kelly makes those changes, and, and we have a question about that uh, that kind of fits into this that I, I want to get to because it's a legitimate a legitimate thing here. So let me let me find this question that kind of fits in with that. Uh, Donald Tainer. So Donald says, Brian, I feel like you've been justifiably critical of BK and the program's shortcomings. Can he win a playoff game at Notre Dame? That ties Absolutely. right into what I just said, Donald, is Brian Kelly – when he when he was my guy when when Notre Dame was he was my guy in 08 before they went undefeated at Cincinnati that was the guy that I wanted to replace coach Weiss and I felt that Jack Swarbrick rightly giving coach Weiss that final year to number one just give him one more shot you know because they had the two good years and two down years 
but also let the coaching situation, you know, get to Notre Dame, figure out what the program's needs are and all that kind of stuff. I don't like ADs coming in and immediately making changes because you don't really know what your program's needs are necessarily. But but Brian Kelly's my guy, and and it's because he was he was going to bring Notre Dame into the modern era, but he was a football coach, like Charlie we- or college football coach. Charlie Weiss's problem to me was he's too much of an NFL guy. He didn't teach fundamentals, toughness, yep. defense. It was all yep. about scheme, scheme, scheme. Yep. Where Coach yeah. Kelly had a good scheme, but he was a college coach. He understood you got to teach these kids how to play the game. Right. And and that's why he was my guy. And he went away from being that guy, not the teaching part, but the the explosive, the innovative, innovative yeah. yes, innovative offensive mind that he was that got him here is gone. So my point being is if Brian Kelly, everybody's like, he's too stubborn to change. He already changed. He he went away from that guy. So it's not even about changing. It's about going back to your roots. We've right. talked. I wrote an article about this. We've talked about yeah, this. Anytime, so yeah. yeah, if Coach Kelly's willing to make the changes, and there's two types of changes that need to be made. It's a philosophical change on offense, which incorporates all the things we've talked about. You know, uh, being pushing the tempo, and again, not Oregon 2010, but just pushing the tempo a little bit more, being more balanced, being more explosive, being more efficient offensively, deeper rotations, you, using your playmakers, incorporating RPOs and in, in different aspects of your offense that are behind in into the modern era, and then secondly, being more involved in recruiting. He is doing that now, and it's paying off because he is impactful on the recruiting trail when he's engaged and involved. If those two things change. Not only do I think Brian Kelly can win a playoff game, I think Brian Kelly can win a national championship at Notre Dame. I I wholeheartedly believe that because here's the thing about the next two-year schedule. If Brian Kelly does what he needs to do, and let's just say Notre Dame goes 12-0 in 2022, guess what? They knocked Ohio State and Clemson out of the playoff because they're both on Notre Dame's schedule. So at least one of them's getting knocked out, possibly two. And so – even if the and if they go eleven and one and beat one, lose to the other, you've knocked the uh, that the other one most likely out. And, and so, to me, I do believe Brian, and that's why I'm so critical of him. Honestly, to Donald's point, if I didn't think Brian Kelly was capable of winning a national championship, I wouldn't be as hard on him as I am. I wouldn't. I say, look, he's doing the best he can. You know, it's it's this, it's admissions, it's this. I would say that, and I would I would I'd say, hey, look, he's he's gotten the program as far as he can get him. And it's time. And I would also say this: it's time for another coach. Mm-hmm. It's time that they Brian Kelly's got him as far as he's po- uh, capable of getting him. And it's time for another coach. The reason I don't advocate for that is number one, my belief is I don't advocate. That's just not me, really. So, so I kind of contradicted myself. But like I would say things that you would kind of know that I thought he'd reached the mat, the, the the top, and I'd start talking a lot more about other coaches that I like. But I'm not saying that right. because I do believe he's capable of it, Vince. And, and you may disagree with me on this, but I believe Brian Kelly has it in him to make the changes necessary because it's who he was. Sure. And that's why I'm not saying oh, it's it, he's he's done all he can do. If he keeps doing it the way he's done it, he's reached his peak. Yeah, but right. I think there's another level for I him agree. to get to. The, I'm not sure if you want to jump way into this, uh, but we can touch on it. Thomas – had some interesting NCAA type questions, uh, Brian, and I'm interested to hear what you have to say. So he says, what gives the NCAA its authority as a governing body? And then he follows it up with, 
what could or would happen if Notre Dame or an SEC school or the conference as a whole told the NCAA to take a long walk off a short bridge in terms of, let's say, getting back down to 85 scholarships? Well, the schools give the NCAA that authority. That is correct. They, yeah. they, they, they absolutely, but they buy in literally right. and figuratively to right. what the NCAA right. is to have that governing body. Now, should Notre Dame should because do you football, know who do you know who the decision makers are? So, like when the NCAA handed down their their bullcrap uh, probation of Notre Dame from the 2012-2013 season, the governing body that made those is, is made up of people that work for the schools. Right, athletic directors. It's not. A, it's not this whatever. private entity that people. That it's a. It's a, what's it? National Collegiate Athletic Association. Right. They choose to be a part of the NCAA. They are a member. If they chose to leave it, then they could. They would be the ones to choose to disband Correct. it. Correct. And now I don't know what contractual obligations there are that would allow. And I don't I'm know sure if they could just do it immediately. I'm sure those exist, and I think they wouldn't be able to do it by themselves. They would have to. There well, would have to be Notre Dame couldn't the SEC groundswell couldn't. right the as SEC a conference could. agreed. If the but, SEC as a conference decided to leave the NCAA. If Notre the Dame dominoes would leave. quickly fall. Correct, I agree but with no, that. But Alabama couldn't leave and Correct. choose to do their own thing. Matter of fact, the SEC <laughs> cool leave go <laughs> do something <laughs> else, and no one's going to play it. Right, right. But, but I think I think the NCAA is going to is going to is going to be gone within the next decade because they've made so many stupid decisions that now they're forced to make bad decisions to to placate people because of their previous bad decisions. So the right. transfer the the one-time transfer thing, stupid decision, but they're almost have no choice because they've been so stupid with transfers in the past and they've made so many bad rules in the past and now they're forcing to do that. The name image likeness thing. If the NCAA wasn't so stupid in the past, and again, NCAAs are the schools right? It's the schools, it's the presidents, it's the ADs, it's the decision makers there. If they weren't so stupid in the past with like not paying full room, you know, full cost of, you know, of admissions and full cost of attendance is what it's called. If they weren't so stupid with those things in the past, if they weren't so dumb when they were making all that money off of the NCAA games, schools were making hundreds of thousands of dollars off of that. If they, they should have come at the time and say, you know what? This is a thing off of them, so we're going to take this and we're going to give it back to the players. Right. And we're going to give an even cut to every program. Those are things that, you, you know, it's it's not them going out and getting it. It's you being smart enough to say, yes, they're amateurs, but we're also making millions and millions of dollars off of a game that's all about them. But instead, you know, these schools that are now, oh, we're all about name, image, and likeness. Well, where were you when you were making six, seven, you know, six figures off of the NCAA games? And not, right. not all teams were, but most teams were. They could have negotiated that, that we're going to split it evenly with all these teams. And then you you get in the – or if they were smart enough to say, hey, look, we're going to take the money. This is one of the things I propose. We're going to take you know 50% of the money that we generate off of jersey sales, and we're going to put a trust in each kid's thing. And when, when you graduate from Notre Dame, you get this part of your trust, right? Because we're and, – and so it can be used to pay your medical expenses – for players that don't go to the NFL. Because, look, you think these kids' injuries just heal magically when they're yeah. done playing college football? No, right. they don't. Uh, they barely – you have to fight to get them to pay for things now when you're part of the team. It, a lot of these – it comes off your parents' insurance. And so those are things that the NCAA could have done for years. And if they would have done these things, and you could push back a lot on this 
paying players nonsense. Sure. But because they were so stupid for years, now you have to do these other stupid things to protect yourself because you did the previous stupid things, which is why I hate the NCAA. So there you go. <laughs> well, this goes right along with that because I know you've got an opinion on this from Gabe. Do you like the playoff format and uh, do you want it expanded? No and no. And so I'm I'm actually going to do a podcast on this Vince okay. soon, and, and you can join it with me. But I've written about this in the past. I know and, you have, I and, know and you I have. and I wrote about it before we had the YouTube channel. So I think it'd be cool to put on the YouTube channel. I think a fourteen playoff is perfect. I think the fourteen playoff, the way that it's constructed now, is not perfect. I think an expanded postseason, the way that they're proposing it, only hurts the regular season. The thing I love about college football, it's the only regular season that really matters anymore. Every game counts. We've man. seen teams go to the Super Bowl that went nine and seven. Yeah. Didn't the Giants go nine and seven one of the years they beat the Patriots? And I, and the I second think the year Steelers the were around that range yeah. as well when they the were Cardinals, a wild card. Team. Yeah, the Cardinals went to a Super Bowl at nine and seven. NBA, you know, you 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 know, who who cares about the NBA? People don't really care much about the college basketball regular season now because it's all about March Madness. Yeah. You do that to college football, and now all of a sudden that that October game in West Lafayette when Purdue beats Ohio State, which all but knocked Ohio State out of the playoff, doesn't matter anymore. Right. And and you're going to cheapen the best thing about sports, which is still the best thing about sports right now, is the college football regular season. Now, the best couple weeks is March Madness, right? But it's not it, – it, it cheapens the regular season. To me, if you want to ex make the regular season even more important – and also expand the number of teams that can get to the postseason or the playoff, then what you do is you go back to the old bowl tie-ins, Big Ten of the Rose Bowl, Pac-12 right. of the Rose Bowl, you know, change around a little bit. And then what you do then is then you get your four teams. Yeah. Because now if you're the number six team and you're playing the number two team in a bowl game, you got a chance to knock them off and jump them. So now it's because I missed the days of watching Ohio State, Michigan when you know the winner put a rose in his mouth and the, and, sure. and and that's what you were playing for. Right now it's like eh, you don't even need to win your conference to get to the playoffs. Yeah, so the, bowl, why, so, the bowl season is right. just it's watered down and, now. And, and, right, and so to me, I hate that. First of all, there's too many bowls uh, to be interested in, but I do like more bowls because it's good for the players. It gives sure. them, you know, it, Boise State gets their chance to go this or BC or whatever else. So, but the, the now that none of the bowls matter really anymore. Whereas now, if there, I mean, there could legit, legitimately be eight teams that have a shot to leap somebody because they're all playing good teams. Win. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And they're beating teams in like contention. That. And so now you still have to get to the Rose Bowl. You still have to play to get to the Sugar Bowl. Cause hey, if you're Alabama and you don't get to the Rose Bowl or the Sugar Bowl, you know, maybe, maybe now you get a matchup that you don't like. You know, now you're, you're an at large and you, you have to go play you know, Oklahoma, or you have to go play Ohio State. And sure. and now, and that's then getting you. And now I think it, it it's one more game for somebody to pop, possibly knock off an Alabama. Right. And so I think that that is, that to me would be the way to go because you you keep the regular season great. You make the bowl games matter. So so the NCAA, which is, this is what they care about, right? All now all of a sudden you've got more money that's going to go into these bowl games because now all the major bowls, instead of just two a year, are – Important feeders to the playoff, and then you've got your two playoffs. Well, it's it's too many games. Well, it's no different than expanding to eight teams, right? You're, you're adding two games for two teams, right? If you go to eight, it's the same concept as expanding the is making the tying the bowl system into the playoff. So now the semifinals are just semifinal games, and then you have the championship. And I think that would be the best way to save the greatness of the college football regular season 
but then also expand the, the number of teams that could be in contention for the playoff, which I think is a stupid argument anyway, because who, when have we said, man, if that number six team would have had a shot to the playoff, they could have beat Alabama or Clemson. Oh, well, there's too much, there's no parity. It's, it's Alabama. You think that's any different because an eight seed has to play Alabama? If the right. two, three, and four seeds can't beat Alabama, you think the eight seed's going to knock them off? Give me a yeah. break. Yeah, However, really. if they all of a sudden get matched up against the number three team in the country because of the Sugar Bowl tie-ins, then all of a sudden we have a little bit of a different conversation. Sure. And, and so, uh, to me, now they have to play three top four teams, you know, and, and that's kind of where I'm at with it is I think that would be great for the game. I think it'd be great financially. I just have no faith in the leadership of the NCAA or the college programs to look beyond their bank accounts. I don't think they have enough foresight to realize how great of a system that would be because it's just the playoffs making us a lot of money. Let's add another round. Right. And and that's just that's the easy, lazy, typically stupid decision that the NCAA is going to do, which now is people stop caring about your regular season and you've cheapened your overall product. But that's what the NCAA has made a living doing is cheaping their product. All right, Brian. So here's an interesting one, and I don't know that I could limit it to five. But Dylan, had, he says, if you could had to choose five skill players on offense that you would prioritize getting the ball to, which five would you currently take on Notre Dame's roster? I, I, I'll, I'll start because I kind of wrote some names down. Um, and look, it, it's and this is in no particular order uh, either. But I've got Michael Mayer. Uh, I've got Chris Tyree. I've got um, Kyron Williams. I've got Jordan Johnson and Xavier Watts. Mm-hmm. Those those are my five. And again, I need to get it to more than five guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, but those would be the five off the top of my head. So for me, when I think of prioritize getting the ball to, that then sets up other opportunities for other players. So, And this is something that okay. every good team I coached on, this is what we did on Sunday. After we were done grading the previous game's films, okay, Here's our here's our dudes. It, sometimes two, sometimes it's three or four. How how, how are ways that we're going to get them? We start thinking about this is our objective: is how to make sure that we make sure our dudes are getting touches. Mayor, the two running backs, Avery Davis and Braden Lindsey, are are those five guys? Now, here's the thing about Braden Lindsey: I still don't view Braden Lindsey necessarily as your number one or number two receiver. It doesn't have to be about that. Right. Uh, let's just say Kevin Austin is fully healthy, and he's the player we think he's going to be. To me. Kevin Austin is going to get touches just by the nature of the position he plays. You don't necessarily have to design ways to get him the ball. Although I do like what I talked about in that podcast the other day, you do want to move guys around and do different things. But to me, you can have Jordan Johnson is a good enough player. Xavier Watts is a good enough player where they're going to get their touches within the framework of the offense. Sure. The reason I went with those two receivers, because receivers different for me than running back a little bit in how you design plays. Braden Lindsay is a guy to me, that if you design ways to get him four or five touches a game, even if he's only playing 25, 30 snaps, it then impacts everything else you do. Because now if I want to run a stretch player, I want to run a play action and I want to take a shot to Michael Mayer, I'm using Braden Lindsay as a, as a smoke, right? I'm bringing him on a reverse because they're so worried about that reverse that maybe that safety, that backside safety pauses just enough to let Kevin Austin or Michael Mayer, Jordan Johnson get over top. So that's why, to me, I would say Braden Lindsay's a guy that I have to get touches for in space because he can then open up those other opportunities. And Avery Davis, for me, is because he can be so versatile. Okay. I, I, if you're going to purposely design ways to get him the ball, give me that versatile guy that can do so many things. You can put him in the backfield. You can put him in the slot. You can put him in motion. You can just sweep him. You can reverse him. You can do screens. You can throw him down the field. 
all those kind of things. Those are the guys that can be a little bit more difficult to get the ball to because they may not just get it within the framework of the offense because they play in the slot or because they're smaller players. And so I think those guys have to be more focused on when I'm game planning as opposed to Chase Claypool, who is just the, the nature of our offense, our W is going to get his targets, just what we do. These guys, to me, are, are a little bit different in my view. Okay. Let's see here. I was scrolling through, man. We have a, we had a ton we had a of good qu- uh, recruiting question here. <laughs> Gabe Weiss asked, what is a realistic dream okay. wide receiver class for Notre Dame, in your opinion? Um, to me, it's it's a realistic dream class. I don't know if I call it a dream class. I'll say a class that I'm I'm really okay. That's a good group. It's yeah. obviously you have a Morin Walker. He's already in your class. Uh, either Xavion Bradshaw number one or Tyler Morris number two, uh, as sort of a slot kind of guy. Xavion Bradshaw is an explosive playmaker. Tyler Morris to me is TJ Jones part two, and that's a pretty good football player. Uh, maybe not a dynamic Will Fuller type, but you give me a, a receiving core with TJ Jones in it, and and that's a good receiving core. And then either to bear, uh, to uh, Tobias Merriweather, CJ Williams, one of those two guys. You could throw Andre Green in there, but to me, he'd be third of that group. But you give me either Tobias, and he'd be my number one. CJ Williams would be my number two at one as the sort of another big guy, and then one of those two slots. I feel pretty good about that receiving core. It's not as good as it could have been and should have been. But if you get Xavion Bradshaw, you could also say if you just get Xavion Bradshaw and Tyler Morris, I would also feel good about that. I wouldn't feel as good about Merriweather and Williams because now you have three big receivers and it's like, okay, where's the playmakers? Where's the after the catch guy? You're kind of getting back to the old school of no playmakers. It's just a bunch of big guys. So, But if you give me the two playmakers and then a Morin Walker, I'd feel pretty good about that. Or one of the playmakers with one of those big guys. And if you can take four, give me the two playmakers and one of the big guys. So I know I did a whole lot of different things, but that's kind of um, that's kind of where I'm at with that. All right. Let's see here. Frank has a question. Wow. Haven't seen Drew White in any videos. Is he hurt? He's been in videos. It's just he's not the primary guy at the point of the attack. Right. But uh, as far as I know, he is not hurt. Uh, I've seen him in most of the videos. I didn't see him in the last one, but that doesn't necessarily mean he wasn't in there. It's only – it's only it was only yeah. like twenty plays out of a, a over a hundred, uh, but as far as I know, Frank, he is not um, he is not injured. Okay, Emmanuel, do you think Notre Dame needs better athletes in order to play with the top programs in big games to win a championship instead of the actual scheme of the offense or defense? Uh, for me, they're fine. Can you use a game changing guy? Yes, of course. You will never turn away mm-hmm. guys like that. But I think that there's talent on this roster, and we've said it a hundred times. They need to get them on the field, and they need to to you know adjust the way that they attack teams offensively. And um, I, they're there that they have it. Let's see if they can translate that to the field. I th- there's guys on this roster. I, I think there's guys that can compete uh, and win national championships. I mean, you said it earlier. Brian Kelly can win a national championship with the roster that he's got. It's absolutely possible. Um, it's just, will they? And that's the biggest question mark. They, they're they getting guys, you know, and we, we've heard it before. And you you referenced it earlier, Brian. You know, Notre Dame can't get good defensive linemen because the academics is, is too rough at Notre Dame. And mm-hmm. they can't do this. And they can't. Well, they've proved that they can do that. And and that's yeah. not the issue. And when, when Brian Kelly says they don't have talent on the outside and they need to get talent on the outside, they've got talent on the outside. They just have to use it properly. So, um, again, 
does Notre Dame have a Jalen Waddle? Does does Notre Dame, you know, does Notre Dame have some of those higher echelon guys? Maybe not, but they haven't been given an opportunity to become those higher echelon guys. So um I, I think that they're fine with who they've got. I I would push back on that a little bit. Number one, to answer his question, it's both. They do need to make schematic changes, and I don't care what you have. Uh, Alabama was scoring between 35 to 38 points a game for a decade. And then all of a sudden they went from 44, you know, like 42 to 44 to 49 mm-hmm. because of a schematic change. They didn't all of a sudden start recruiting five-star players at receiver, right? They did have this guy named Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley. You know, we've heard of those guys. So yeah, I think there is schematic changes, but I, I don't think that they have the, the, the roster that necessarily allows them to compete the way that Clemson competed with Alabama. And what I mean by that is Vince, could Notre Dame play Alabama with the right scheme and beat them? Yes, but they would need some things to go right. They would need a turnover. They would need, you know, something like that. I don't think they can just go outplay them the way that Clemson outplayed them in 2016 and in 2018, especially where in 2018, Clemson had the better players in 2018. Mm-hmm. Notre Dame doesn't have better players across the board. There are still positions they have to get better. They need to get better at cornerback. Now, do they have cornerbacks that are good enough to beat Bama if your D-line balls out? Yes, they are. But that that's not necess- that's different, you know. Um they got to get better at corner. The safety after the first couple, the safety recruiting the last couple of years is problematic once Kyle Hamilton leaves. Sure. At receiver, Yes, you had some really good players, but they were also real young because you didn't necessarily develop them because Braden Lindsay was injured. But if those guys are healthy, they're closer. I mean, if if Braden Lindsay and Kevin Austin are healthy last year and they played the freshmen, I think Notre Dame would have a shot to score on them, but I don't think they were good enough a quarterback to 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 beat them. So I do think there are some positions where they can continue to get better sure. and, and and to where they can be on Alabama's level. So that's where I'd push back a little bit. Yes, I think they need to continue to get better athletes at certain positions, especially on the perimeter, especially on the perimeter of the defense, uh, because you know, the, the corner play in 2020 looked a whole lot different than the corner play in 2018. And and that's because they, they didn't have a Julian Love and a Troy Pride on this year's group. So I do and, – and quarterback too. You need better play at quarterback, but are they're close enough to where they'd have a shot to win? If they could have forced a turnover two against Alabama and the scheme was right and they were playing the right players, to your point, Vince, could they have beat Alabama? Yes, I think so. They couldn't have outplayed Alabama the way that Ohio State outplayed Alabama in 2014, right. or the way that Clemson outplayed Alabama in 2018, or the way LSU outplayed Alabama in 2019 in the regular season. That's to me the the difference. Okay, so I kind of agree with where you're coming from, but I, I do think there's areas where Notre Dame still needs to improve their talent level. And I would still like to see a stud up the middle. Like they have very good players up the middle, but if they could get like a first round pick, like Anthony Lucas, sure, to add to the players already have, that closes the gap even more to where now you can dominate up front as opposed to like in 2020. I thought the D line went toe to toe with Alabama's offensive line. I did. I thought they played well, but they didn't dominate Bama. So, again, I think there's even there another level to where if you can get that next-level guy, like Isaiah Foskey can be, like I think Tyson Ford could be, like I think Aiden Gabera could be. So they don't always have to be five-star guys, like Anthony Lucas could be, like Gabriel Rubio is, like Riley Mills I think can be. They're getting some of those guys, but just doing it more consistently is the thing that I'd like to see from this program. So um, that's kind of where I'm where I'm on on that. With that's that fair. One. Chief Brody has an interesting question about next year's schedule. Brian, he says, mm-hmm. uh, who's the most dangerous opponent on the 21 schedule, in your opinion? I think North Carolina might be scary. I am less scared of Wisconsin. Maybe that is unpopular. 
you know, for me, to be perfectly honest with you, I'm a little scared of Cincinnati. That mm-hmm. team knows how to win. Okay, now they're coming to Notre Dame and, and all of that. But that's not a pushover, you know, uh, bringing in a lower tier team into Notre Dame Stadium, right? So mm-hmm. Cincinnati scares me a little bit. And frankly, USC ha- has dudes. And now mm-hmm. most of them transferred out. Uh, but with with the way that they run things, you know, with their air raid offense and, and the fact that they always have athletes, mm-hmm. that game scares me. If they've had success – going into the Notre Dame game and they have any kind of confidence that game scares me a little bit. Mm-hmm. So that that's where I'm at with those two. Th- those are the two that, that, that might scare me the most. Wisconsin doesn't scare me. Yeah. So I'm, I'm with you on that one uh, chief. They, they don't scare me at all. Um, I'm the same way on Wisconsin Vince. I, I'm not, yeah, I mean, it doesn't mean they can't beat Notre Dame because Notre Dame could, could sure, you know, turn the ball over and Absolutely. have a bad game plan. Brian, Ch- I think I'm saying this right, Brian. Brian Chesanik, uh also kind of hinted. He asked this question as well, uh, but he also shared Notre Dame fan. Both my grandparents are buried at Cedar Grove Cemetery on campus. Go Irish. So that was his kind of how he became a Notre Dame fan, I think. And then I think the schedule sets up, sets, sets up nicely this year, but what game scares you the most? So along the same lines, yeah. kind of what's that one game that scares you? I mean, USC, a rivalry game. Look, USC was 5-7 and seven in 2018 and still almost beat Notre Dame. Right. You know, Notre Dame in 2019 wasn't very good, or USC wasn't very good in 2019. I think they were like eight and five, and they they you know they battled back and were within touchdown of Notre Dame. So those rivalry games, you always got to throw the the roster out the window. So it's always scary, but it is at home, so I feel good about that. Absolutely, Cincinnati will be a, will be a challenge, but I think that Notre Dame is going to have an advantage by the fact that Marcus Freeman is going to know their offense. Notre Dame also knows Mike Dembrock pretty well. Sure. Uh, and they still have better players. North right. Carolina scares me because they're a tempo offense, and they lose some pretty good players, really good players, but they still have some good players coming back. I mean, honestly, there's not a team on a schedule, Vince, I look at and say, boy, that's a that, yeah. that, that team has Notre Dame's talent level. I agree. There, there isn't one. But it's just Purdue. I mean, Look, if Purdue's healthy this year, they're going to be dangerous, right? And we saw what they could do in 2018 Ohio State if you overlook them. Right. Um, so, you know, Florida State's going to have athletes. Not like they used to, but they're going to – I mean, so there's enough teams where if you don't bring your A game or at least your B game, you could get beat. But when I look at and say well, that opponent scares me, there, there really isn't one. I'm, I'm going to study the schedule more this summer. And, and, you know, part of this is what do teams do in the spring? How healthy are they? Do they get any transfers? Those kind of things. But right now there's not a team that necessarily scares me Right. If Notre Dame plays their game, I think that's where Notre Dame is at now. I, I expect agree. them to stub their toe at least once because that it's just hard to go undefeated. It is. Uh, but I, but that's why I expect ten and two because there's nobody I look at and I say, yeah, Notre Dame can can and should beat every team on their schedule. The reason I'm not predicting twelve and zero is because the one the, I I don't like the way he uses it, but he's right when Coach Kelly says winning is hard. I hate that he uses it as an excuse. Right for not winning that's championships, where we've seen it, yeah. but but it is true. Sure, it you is. Know, it is. It's hard to go on. I mean, Alabama hasn't gone undefeated, but for what, like two of their title teams, maybe three of their six or seven, uh, they've lost to Texas A and M. They've lost to Ole Miss twice. They've lost to Auburn. I mean, they're not losing to Georgia. They're not right. losing to Florida. Right. They're losing to Ole Miss twice. They're losing to you know Auburn. It. it so uh, you know it, it. It can be. It look at Ohio State. They didn't lose to Penn State or Michigan. In the regular season, they lost a well. They lost once to Penn State. They usually beat Penn State. It's Purdue. It's Iowa. Those are the teams that have knocked Ohio State out of the playoff in recent right. season. Yeah. So Michael's got a recruiting question here for you, Brian. What are you hearing about the 2022 defensive tackle recruiting? Three options: 
Most commonly mentioned are Lucas, Artis, and Heinisch. Uh, how would you evaluate and rank all three if Notre Dame takes one of the three? So Notre Dame is pushing hard for Anthony Lucas. And, and as I've mentioned on this in this space, as I mentioned on the radio last night, Anthony Lucas is a is I, I've come up with this new phrase. I'm not saying I invented it, but it's new for me. If somebody else has used it, I'm not pretending like I have it trademarked. But for me, <laughs> this new phrase that I'm using when it comes to Notre Dame is are you a, are that is that a gap closer recruit? And and that means are you is this a player that can close the gap on Bama, Ohio State, and Clemson? And Anthony Lucas is a gap closer. There's no doubt about it. To me, he's a gap closer, and he is clearly the number one player at the at the defensive tackle position. Caleb Artis is a good football player. He's a lot like the guys they've been getting. So getting him would be would be good. And then Donovan Heinish to me is a is his brother, you know, and he's a good player. But I would hope that Notre Dame can just do a little better. Sure. Uh, if they get him because they miss out on the others, that's fine. If they take him now and and they don't have room for the others, that would be a mistake, and I don't think they're doing that. My understanding is they're not pushing for commitments from artists or Heinish because they want to see where things stand with Anthony Lucas. And whether or not he sets up an official visit coming up soon in June is going to tell you a lot about where you stand with him, uh, but that's, that's where I say. And then it's Lucas clearly number one, big drop-off, and then there's Art now, and again, Artis is a top 150 to 200 caliber player for me, but Lucas is a top 25 to 50 player for me. And then Heinish is is there's a gap between number two and number three, which is Artis at two, and then Heinish at three. All right, Dylan wants a little tape review from you, Brian. Uh, can you talk about Jake Pope's game a little bit? I know you're a tape guy, and his tape definitely exceeds his ranking in my opinion. Yeah, I love Jake Pope, but I'm actually going to try to pull up his film here while we're while we're talking. Oh, you're getting I, technical on us I now. like him a lot. You know, he is a kid that plays safety. Uh, he's also a kid that plays receiver. He could play receiver in college, but I think his higher ceiling for me is as a uh, I'm going to pull up his junior film here events. For me his ceiling is higher as um as a safety. Okay. I think he's about 6'1", six, 6'1", six six, really rangy, really athletic. Um, and he's smart, you know, he's very instinctive, knows how to play the game. Uh, he's a guy that to me, um, I'm trying to go through the share screen thing here with, with him. So he's a guy that you're going to see some plays of him making plays a wide receiver, very twitchy. I don't know if he's going to run like a, a four, three 40 time, but to me, he's quick. He's got suddenness. He closes ground really well. Very instinctive. You see that he's just, he's reading the quarterback just steps in front of that pass. And then look at that speed. Like, that's a kid that can move. And he plays at Buford High School in Georgia, which means he's playing against really good competition. You know, this isn't just some kid that plays in some small little tiny town in, in Buford. And for Notre Dame fans, the the last guy that, that Notre Dame tried to recruit from Buford was uh, uh, Omar Hunter, right? Uh, but this is where uh, Darius Walker's from. You know, this is a really good school. And this kid is a good football player. His dad played at Clemson. There's a stick right there. Look at – see, like, yeah, it's a stick, but watch how quickly he closes on the football there. That's my big thing. Watch that closing speed there. That's what I love. I and mean, he's kind of already emotional, but he just plants his foot and then, boom, he explodes at the football. Like, I love his range and athleticism. I love his instincts. I think this kid's a really good football player. His pedal technique needs some work. But even, even with poor technique, look how quickly he's able to plant his back foot and get out on that outcut. All right, like that's not great technique, but he drives quickly out of that break. Now you clean up his technique a little bit, and that now all of a sudden he's getting on that ball much quicker. Look at that leaping, look at that instincts, just fight for the ball. 
know, this this kid's a good football player, Vince. I, I really like that kid. I you know, I don't know what kind of chance they have at him. He likes Notre Dame. Uh, he talks to Notre Dame. I would I wouldn't be shocked if he visits. He, they made his top eight, but you know, Bama wants him. There's a lot of Southern of schools that want him. And if his dad's school gets in the mix and offers him and pushes for him, that would make me That's a little bit tough. nervous. As yeah, well. for sure. Maddie K. I don't know if we were heard from Maddie K yet today. So this is good stuff. Uh, I've been watching the clips you guys are sharing from spring practice, and I've been seeing a lot more of Tyler Buckner. Thoughts on how this and how he changes the QB battle? Look, Notre Dame, Notre Dame, they're not dumb, right? They're going to get <sighs> their prized uh, freshman on the three minute clips. Yeah. There, there's no, there's no doubt about it. Now Brian Kelly has also been very clear that he hasn't played a lot of football in the last three years. He's played one year of football in the last three years, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. there's some rust to knock off. Now, he's also said that the light is starting to turn on for Tyler Buckner, which mm -hmm. is fantastic. I still think that currently there's a bit of a gap between him and the other two guys, mm -hmm. and yeah. there's nothing wrong with that. There, there's nothing wrong right. with that. I don't – He he's part of the competition and yet not part of the competition, I guess, is, is the best way right. to put it for me. Um, so I don't think it changes anything at the top. But yeah, and it, and those battling. clips aren't uh, those clips aren't um, with the first team. Also true. Yes, that's that's the other thing. And, and so I, I think it's smart that they're getting him in there. It's nice to see him get some throws. And sure. and and he and he and what I liked about the most recent film to answer Maddie's question is I don't think Tyler Buckner's in the quarterback competition right now. But what I liked about the most recent film is he looked a lot more confident and comfortable and compact with his throwing motion. Early on, he was kind of like letting the ball get a little bit away from him and on some of those deep balls. And I just didn't like the motion a whole lot, but he, he looked really crisp and clean. He gets that little swing route out to Sebo Flemister, hits that outcut, the far hash outcut to Jordan Johnson, you know, zips a, a quick outcut into Mitchell Evans. Again, he's still in the Mitchell Evans, so he's not with the first team Correct. offense. He's still in Sebo Flemister, right? Right. Um, so I don't think he's in that battle yet. But if he continues to progress this way, right. then he heads into the fall in the right, battle exactly and 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 even if he's not in the battle to start he's at least in the see here's the thing drew tyler buckner's on a different to me level than the other two in that he doesn't necessarily have to win the starting job to earn playing time and we, we've talked about that so to me that i think is is um is is more important here we go uh this is from chris summers it's not going to show up in the thing but this is from chris summers USC is the team he loves to hate. Yes. Uh, so um, my guy right there. I get that. I get that for sure. I, I just don't have that same hatred for USC. I have more <laughs> respect. But I, I know a lot of Notre Dame fans that their answer is going to be USC. Absolutely. Um, hey, Brian, I yeah, got to roll. You got to bounce. Yeah. I got to bounce. Practice I got to get to practice. Soon, right? And uh, we got rained out yesterday. Okay. So I got to make sure we get some some swings in. So thank you, everybody. I really, like I've said many, many times, Friday is my favorite day because I love doing these mailbags, man. So um next time we're live which would be next friday maybe earlier maybe um I, i'm looking forward to it so i will see everybody next friday brian take her home baby thanks buddy all right so we are going to uh roll through these here jay asks next commit um you you know my stance i don't give those away i'd say pay attention around four o'clock i think we should be getting some some news here uh of at least one commitment for today um, here we go. DBZ, do you think JJ and MM can both can be dudes this year? Are you talking? Is that I think JJ's Jordan Johnson is MM Michael Mayer? If you're if you're asking about both of them, yes, I think they both can be. I think Michael Mayer was a dude last year, uh, but I definitely think he can be a guy that can be even more so this year. Um, 
Michael Shaw, this is an interesting one, Michael. I You live in Pennsylvania, so I get that. I never really hated Penn State. They were kind of annoying to me. I was never much of a Joe Paterno fan. I hated that Penn State played soft schedules year after year after year. They'd have like that one tough game in the regular season, and they'd win because they played nobody else. And I just never liked Joe Paterno. This is even before everything, everything that happened. But when I lived in Pennsylvania for about a total of about three years at two different schools, and I really found their fan base to be kind of annoying, uh, but not to the level of, of hatred. So I, you know, I just I, I can understand why you feel that way because you're from Pennsylvania, and I would definitely, if I was from Pennsylvania, I probably, um, yeah. Let's see here, this is another, we don't get this very often. Uh, Notre Dame ranked 92nd in field goal conversion percentage. No reason kicking game isn't top flight. Why can't Indy recruit a difference maker kicker? Well, I mean, I think Jonathan Doerr, that I think part of the problem is kickers are so they're just they have different mindsets. They have different, you know, they, they just they're a lot more difficult to control mentally because they're a lot a lot of times they're not real. I say that's going to come out wrong. They're not like Jay Bramlett is a punter, right? That kid was a quarterback in high school. That's a good he's a football player, right? Like he's not a Notre Dame level quarterback or athlete. But that kid's a football player. He's different. A lot of kickers aren't football players. They're 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 just kickers, and so their mindsets are a little bit different, and that's just kind of part of it. And sometimes these kids just they they lose, you know, they just they lose their, um, you know, they lose their confidence at times. And you know, when you look at John the Door this year, he he ranked he had like I think sixty five percent. He missed some, and he missed like the Clemson game was a perfect example where he goes. And, and nails a longer field goal and then misses a, a cheap, sh- a, 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 just a real short, quick. But again, the year before in 2019, he ranked 22nd in the tied for 22nd in the country, making 85% of his kicks. He went 17 to 20. And then a year later, he drops to 65%. So it, look, there aren't many kickers that have as strong of a leg as John in the door. It's, it's up here. Uh, Josh Bryan, who they recruited, is, a, is one of the better kickers in the country. Justin Yoon was the best kicker in the country, and he was. I think he finished his Notre Dame career as the all-time leading kicker in field goal percentage and, and points. So the last kicker they had was, in my opinion, a great kicker. So I think they've done a pretty decent job of that. But the other thing too, is, RJ, is that they're just there's not always a great kicker out there. And and when you are on a limited scholarship, and you say you offer a kid who's a, a sophomore, and then this great kicker comes along, you're going to really use two scholarships on a kicker for multiple two three years. I think that can be uh, that can be challenging. Dylan Hoffman asks, sticking with Benjamin Morrison, are him, Mickey, and Nakai Martinez all kind of on that same tier? Uh, yeah, I would I would say so. I'd probably put Morrison. They're different players. Mickey is more of a field slot guy. Morrison can play some boundary, but he's a field cover guy, more of an outside guy to me. Similar players, but or different players, but on the same level ranking wise. Nakai Martinez is a little bit below them in my opinion. He's really quick, really fast, and a good football player now, but I don't see as high of a ceiling with him as I see with those other two players. And you know me, Dylan. I'm a big ceiling guy. I don't care where you are as a junior, senior in high school. I care about where you're going to be when you're a junior, senior at Notre Dame. And to me, that's why you know I would rank a guy like Jeremiah Wusu as high as I did and why I understood why the recruiting services ranked him as a three-star because I rank it differently. And to me, it's it's you got to look past, is he ready to play as a freshman? And say no, he's not. He's going to need time. But if he hits the ceiling, he's going to be a difference maker, and, and that's that's um, that's where I see him. All right, Jay asks, 
What do you think of Devin Moore? Coach Kelly is really high on him, and Tom Loy is hearing a Bama and ND battle. So I've talked about Devin Moore before. We talked about him in a, a DB podcast recently. We were I was asked about him in a, a couple weeks ago. He's a really interesting athlete. This is a kid from Naples, Florida. Uh, long, rangy, not a super explosive guy, but I don't think you need to be. I don't think Kyle Hamilton's necessarily an explosive athlete from a speed standpoint. He's an explosive athlete from a suddenness leaping standpoint. But, you know, I don't think Kyle Hamill's going to go out there and run a 4-3-5, at least not right now. He's really smooth, really fluid, also plays receiver, plays some corner in high school. So I like the fact that he can that he can cover. And, and you know, if he can fill out his frame, I like him. He There's there's not a lot of elite safeties on the board for Notre Dame this year. You know, there's Xavier Nwankpa, who we talked a little bit about from Iowa. He's, to me, an elite player. But then there's this group of guys like Jake Pope, Jaden Mangum, uh, and I'd throw Devin Moore in there that maybe aren't the highly ranked guys, but they've got length, they've got athleticism, they've got instincts, they're two-way players, and I love two-way players, especially at safety, that if you get one of those guys, I feel really good about that. And and there's some tools to work with there. So Devin Moore is in that battle. Uh, if Tom is saying it's a Bama-ND battle, I think that also answers kind of the question about what kind of upside Devin Moore has because he's not a super highly ranked guy. But anytime there's a battle between ND and Bama – Bama picks who they want in their class. So if they if they want Devin Moore this early, I think it tells you a lot about his upside. And he's a guy that, to me, I don't talk a lot about him because I don't think Notre Dame has a great shot at him, uh, or I at least didn't think that they were a team to get him. But if Tom's saying it's an ND Bama battle, then that makes me feel good because he's a kid that, whose film I really like. And we've talked about him before. Uh, in this space, because I, I do, I do really think he's a good football player, and I like getting into Florida. If you can find that right fit kind of kid, and from everything I've heard about Devin Moore, he's a right fit kind of kid. I've talked to Brian Smith about him, and uh, Brian says he's a he's a Notre Dame fit, so I think that's good too. Thomas Walsh, my dad is class of '62. I was raised on ND football. Uncle, two cousins went Irish Catholic family from St. Paul, Minnesota. This section of people love Notre Dame for Catholic and Irish, perfect fit. Love it. I love it. Um, uh, let's see here. Billy Johnson. Why is it that Lou could beat the best with less? BK can't get over the hump. I don't think Lou beat the best with uh, the the least. I mean, if you go back and look at those Notre Dame teams, they had elite players. Uh, Rocket Ismail was an elite athlete. Notre Dame, Andy Heck was the starting tackle for that 88 team. He played in the NFL for over a decade. Todd Light was a first round. I mean, Notre Dame was putting out first and second round picks in the NFL draft consistently. I think there was like a three-year stretch from like 89 to 91. I, th this is something that Lou Samoji has said, that they had like what was considered the best recruiting class in the country for after they won that title. So I think those teams were incredibly talented. Bryant Young's a Hall of Famer, and they had him on that 93 team. Aaron Aaron Taylor is was that year's Quentin Nelson. I mean, he was a Lombardi winner. He was a star. He was a Hall of Fame player. So I don't think they lacked talent. I mean, Tim Brown won the Heisman Trophy in 87, and they didn't win it all. And then they went out and won it in further years. They had Ricky Waters was on the 88 team. I mean, that's how loaded they were. He didn't even play running back on that team. So, I, I, But I also think, too, Billy, to your, to your point, is I think it's that philosophy of Coach Kelly needs to stop with the, the excuses. and Because what happens is it's like when they lost to Stanford, Miami and Stanford in 2017. And Coach Kelly came out and said, you know, just, they were worn down and, you know, academics and all these different things were caught up to him. And, and I talked to a couple coaches that were real ticked about him saying that because it's like you're giving them excuses. 
you're allowing them to say, because we're at Notre Dame, we have a tougher road in front of us, as opposed to using that tougher road as motivation to make them tougher. And I think that was the difference between Coach Coach Holtz and Coach Kelly is Coach Holtz understood how to create a culture of toughness, a culture of uh, uh, where they just had a swagger where like that team was ready to go fight everybody. And I'm not saying I want Notre Dame to get in a bunch of brawls before games again, but they just took the field. And here's the biggest difference, Billy, is this Notre Dame team thinks they can beat anyone. And, and that's the culture that Brian Kelly has created. The Lou Holtz teams knew they were going to beat every team they played. Didn't always do it, but they knew. They were never, it was never, I think we can win. They took the field all the time with some kind of edge and attitude where we're going to beat anybody we play, which is why consistently they beat top teams. I mean, his record against top five opponents is insane. I mean, it's Urban Meyer-esque in how good it was. And I think it's not about the players as much as it's about the mentality, the culture that you've created, the culture of toughness and explosiveness and just taking the fight to your opponent and never backing down. And and I just I think that like we're I just think that's a big difference in my opinion. Um Donald Tainer, uh do you know when you guys will be able to see practice in person? I'm hoping in the fall, but we haven't seen that yet. So Dylan, you said Tyler Morris was the receiver you were talking about then. Then yeah, I get that one. Um I don't know if the Wisconsin boys are car are carpooling together. Uh, let's say, all right, here we go. Here's another pe- anti-Penn State one. As a PA native, Penn State is tough to get behind. Had a bunch of friends enroll there and always thought the fan base was arrogant. Uh, I never realized that until I lived in Pennsylvania for a few years when I was coaching. And yes, you are. You are correct. Um, all right, here we go. Uh, t- here we go. Uh, Thomas Leonard. In a family full of diehard Buckeye fans, I developed my love for Notre Dame through my sixth-grade uh, history teacher. Interesting. She showed us Rudy prior to some school break, and I was hooked despite my dad and brothers. Okay, that's very interesting. Very interesting. Um, but so my dad and brothers' best efforts. Very interesting. Very interesting. Brian Denbo, I live in southern Indiana. Grew up watching Notre Dame on black and white TV. Followed Joe Montana through his career. Very cool story. I, that's a little, before my time. I only know Joe as a 49er. Um, here we go. Uh, get him the rock. Uh, when will a team not named Alabama, Ohio state, Clemson, Georgia, or Oklahoma win a title? It seems like those top programs have a total stranglehold on central Florida or college football. Um, Oklahoma and Georgia have won as many titles this decade as Notre Dame has. Matter of fact, Georgia's last national title was seven years before Notre Dame's national last national title. So I, Georgia needs to get removed from that conversation. They've been in one playoff appearance. They talk about a team that does less with more than anyone in the country. So get them out of there. Oklahoma, I could see breaking through. I mean, Bob Stoops won a title 20 years ago. But, I mean, Oklahoma's not really been competitive, been more competitive than Notre Dame most games. But, I mean, look, LSU did that in 2019. If I'd have told you in 2018 when LSU was was winning with 32 points a game, if I'd have told you the next year LSU is going to go out and score almost 50 points a game and win a title, you probably would have laughed at me and said, dude, you I've lost our respect for you as an analyst. Now, I didn't think they were going to do that, but when they made the scheme, people that have followed me since I was a BGI, you remember this. When they hired Joe Brady and we did our preseason predictions, I predicted LSU to go to the college football playoff because I knew the talent was there. They just had to utilize it. So, I mean, I think we're going to see those, thing, those things soon. I think Alabama is, is and Ohio State are, are rolling. I think that Clemson is, is going to take a couple steps, slow steps back. I believe that. 
They're still going to dominate because the ACC hasn't caught up yet. But I think within the next five years, I don't think Clemson will be the team that they have been the last five years. It's still going to be really good, but not there. But I mean, when those teams stop making excuses and do a better job recruiting and developing players, I mean, look, when Alabama won their first title in 09, they weren't filled with five-star players. That didn't come until after they won a title. So stop making excuses and, and go get the job done. All right. All right. Here we go. Um, it's here. Michigan fans are the worst. Agree. Um, I would think so. I mean, I think Notre Dame includes those wins anyway. When Notre Dame talks about Brian Kelly uh, getting ready to pass Newt Rockney and wins, that's doesn't that's not true if you take out those twenty one wins from twelve and thirteen. So I think I think Notre Dame has pretty much given the middle finger. I wish they would have fought it more, like so so just gone a little bit further on it. But they said, fine, we'll take your we'll take your whatever your sanctions and say screw you because they're 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 still not talking about it. So I I I think that's true. Um, let's get some last questions in here. Uh, all right, here we go. Oh man, it's a good one. How bad did Rich Rod tank his career by going to Michigan? I think he could have done special things at West Virginia had he stayed instead of starting the downward turn for Michigan. Yes, hundred percent. This is why I've said before, fit is so important when you take, take a job. And he was a horrible fit in Michigan. That was one of the worst coaching hires I've ever seen. And I think Rich Rod's a really good coach. It's a horrible fit, horrible fit for him. Um, here we go. Just or your ordinary Joe. My dad is going to love this. You need to share credit for the postseason design you're proposing with its co-author, your dad. My dad did not co-author. I don't know what he's told you, but he is lying. I told my dad the theory, and I ran it by him, and he thought it was a great idea. So he gave me a co-author in that he validated my idea, but uh, – um, I'm going to say, no, he does not deserve credit unless my dad's listening, which he tends to do a lot. So, uh, if he asks, yes, I'm sharing it with him, but to y'all, that was my idea. I'm, I'm giving my dad no credit on that one. Um, those five playmakers, this is Dylan's Michael Mayer, Jordan Johnson, Tyree, Kyron Williams, and Braden Lindsay close. Um, Gabe Weiss, rest in peace, DMX. Uh, there's another one down here. Uh, and talked about that. I, you know, I tweeted this last night. You know, I grew up on on rap in the in the early '90s and in the late '80s, and it's sad to see how many of the guys I grew up listening to are, are not with us anymore. It is it is. Um, yeah, tool worker. We talked about this earlier. Why does Hunter Spears expect to play, or wh- where does Hunter Spears expect to play? What is the status? Where we're not hearing we're not hearing about him because he's not practicing. He's he's injured or sick or something, but he's out at the practice field, but he's in normal clothes. So. Um, I don't know what his status is beyond that. So I won't, I won't, uh, I won't get in there. Uh, Dylan Hoffman, how many defensive tackles do you think uh, are going to see time this year? Who will it be? Mills, Adamiola, Heinish, Lacey, any chance Rubio gets some snaps. We're going to see Howard Cross. Howard Cross played last year. They really like Howard Cross. He's a very athletic, penetrating kid. He's just a guy that can't play a ton of snaps because of his size. We're going to see him. And I absolutely think we're going to see, Gabriel Rubio this year. He's too good not to play. I don't think he's going to play like 30, 40 snaps a game, but I think we'll see him. And I wouldn't be shocked if Aiden Kayana on at some point in time works himself into some snaps. I do, because I think he's the only other big body you really have at nose. And so if you get into some of those slug fests against like Wisconsin or Stanford, I could see a scenario in which, uh, you, you know, you're, you find a role for Aiden. I think that in past years in Notre Dame, he's playing a ton. It just speaks to how, how deep they are. Um, here we go. KMA Preston, thoughts on Darren Agu, and does Notre Dame take him? He's a definite take for Notre Dame, 
Uh, there's no doubt about that. I love him. I mean, I, we watched his film for the first time uh, in this in this forum. I think it was a week ago, and it was mostly tight end film. And I liked his athleticism, but it was just raw. And then after the show, I went and watched his defensive film. I found a couple game films online, and I'm like, this kid's this kid's got tools. Uh, you know, to me, he's kind of in that Isaiah Foskey mold of he's a tight end that's you know guy that maybe some teams are focusing at tight end. He hasn't played vo- football very long, maybe a couple, couple years. Uh, he came over from England, grew up playing soccer. He's got great feet, really athletic, and he looks a lot like Aaron Lynch in, in, in physically, same height, same body type. In the face, he kind of looks like Aaron Lynch, but a different personality than Aaron Lynch, uh, it, but not quite the upside that Aaron had, but similar. And, and there's a reason Alabama and Notre Dame both offered him a day apart. Notre Dame beat Alabama by a day. And uh, I think that's going to serve them serve them well to get in on him as early as they did. But uh, Alabama offered him and wanted him. That is a very talented football player. And if you're obsessed with rankings, you're not going to like it. But if you're someone who cares about film and tools and upside, that would be a huge pickup for Notre Dame. Uh, it's okay, DJ. All right, this is you can watch it on the replay, my man. All right, Robert. Uh, here we go. What future opponent? would you like to see on the schedule that you have not seen in your lifetime so far? For example, Iowa, this is a really a good one. What opponent was, so like when he first said what I'd like, I like UCLA, but they've played UCLA in the last 20 years. Um, Boy, that is a good one. Hmm. I kind of like the idea of playing TCU. I think getting a game in that Dallas-Fort Worth area would be good for Notre Dame. So it's not necessarily about TCU, but it's about getting a home-and-home with them where you can play a Big 12 team that's respectable, and then also you get to get down in Dallas in in the return game. And what would probably happen is if they scheduled a home-and-home with TCU, TCU'd probably end up moving the game to the Cowboy Stadium because it's so much bigger and they'd sell it out and make a lot more money. Uh, which is what Syracuse did in 2016. That was supposed to be a home game for Syracuse, but Syracuse gave it up to play at, the, at uh, MetLife because they could get more people there and, and make more money. Um, yes, I did start moving as a needle mover, but I think gap closer is a better a better way of saying that. So um, KMA Preston, what do you think of Nicholas Anderson? Solid prospect, um, not the top 100 player that ESPN has him ranked as. Long, smooth. To me, he's a better version of Amorian Walker. I would have taken him over Amorian Walker, but he's not the high upside guy, at least what I've seen so far, that should be also in the class with Amorian Walker. He should have taken one or the other. And I felt the same way about Jarrell Williams, who some people were pushing towards Notre Dame. He ended up committing to West Virginia, I think, yesterday. But to me, when you're Notre Dame, you can't take Anderson and Walker. You take one or the other, and then you push for the top players. That's just, to me, how they should do it. Um, do you think the Cincinnati to Notre Dame coaching pipeline could continue with Luke Fickle? I, I don't. I not no. I don't think so. I think Luke Fickle is a really good coach at that level. I have concerns and questions about whether or not he could be that level of that that high caliber guy at a place like Notre Dame. Could he? Could he win it there? Um. See if if Freeman leaves before BK cho- chose to step away. Could c- the Cincinnati coaching tree pipeline continue? Luke. Oh, you kind of asked it again. How would you feel that if that came to fruition? I would not feel great about it. And also, I would just say if if Freeman leaves and BK leaves a year later, then wherever Freeman's at, if you think he's that guy, then just just bring him back. Um, 
Yeah, I'm still thinking about this one. So as I'm answering these other questions, I'm still thinking about Robert's question in the back of my mind, just trying to think of who they haven't played. So they've played Oklahoma. They've played Texas. They've played Florida State. They've played Miami. They've played um, – oh, here's one, Florida. I'd like to see them. Now, I know they played Florida, but that was in a bowl game. I'm, I was excited when they added Florida to the future schedule. I'm fired up about that because I, I like the notion of a team that they just have ne – they've never played Florida in a regular season game, and Florida doesn't come up this way ever. So I was excited to I was excited to see that. So that would probably be one that would pop in my head. We're getting close to the end of the questions here. So if you have any more, get them in before we wrap things up. Gregory Nielsen asks: It appears that the defensive staff may not be pushing hard for DN Tafiti as they are for others. Moss was like Agu. Is this accurate? Yes, it is. And if so, do you worry about potential damage to the Hawaii pipeline that has been so good to Notre Dame? Any insight on Tafiti, who seemed to be a top prospect early in the cycle? I don't think there's damage because I mean, look. What program doesn't pass on some kids? USC decides to not take some kids. Uh, Alabama has decided not to take some kids. I don't think it's Notre Dame's going to get unnecessarily punished. They had to do what they had to do. If anything, if Notre Dame took him and didn't really think he could play, and then he's buried on the depth chart, that would do way more damage for Notre Dame than uh, take than not taking him. And being honest with him early on and saying not pushing him. Um, I don't think it's going to hurt Notre Dame. So uh, they like them, but it's just one of those things that when you continue scouring the nation, you look for better players. And I think the Tafiti situation, and he's a good football player. He's a top 250 caliber guy. If they took him, I'd say he's a good pickup. But here's the thing. That's, an, that's a, to me, several, a couple years ago, they would have taken him early if they could have got him. They had to push for him early. Hey, we need you in the class. And then they stop recruiting other top players that maybe are a little harder to get. He wanted to wait a while, and they also didn't necessarily push for a commitment, in part because of the coaching change. And they said, hey, look, there's just better players on the board. And they went after those better players. Ty Ford's better player. Different position. He's a big end. T Teva is a, is a drop. Aiden Gabera, better player. Uh, Darren Agu, in my opinion, better player. DJ Weselak is more of a big end, so I don't compare them the same for me. Uh, but he's a he's a better player than Teva. And it's a good year at defensive end, in my opinion. And there's a lot of guys their names on the board with. Um, Rock, Gabe Weiss, Rocket should have won the Heisman. 100% agree. Didn't Ty Detmer throw like 20 picks the year he won the Heisman? That was absurd. That was one of the biggest tragedies of the Heisman. And and I that's one of the reasons. I mean, now it's, it's we've had a lot of those over the years. I just stopped caring about the Heisman because it's a it's basically a quarterback award in most years. Sean Hunter, a lot of Penn State hate today. I'm digging it. I'm from PA, and I hate Penn, the Penn State fans. They are just aggravating, and I live in the same city that Rocket is from. Uh, I watched him at Myers. I fell in love with Indy. I love it. That's a great story. Um, uh, here, this is okay. Here we go. Brian Denbo, am I the only person that gets mad when you see Notre Dame uh, players lose and the players not upset? Um, I, I. I think we need to be careful with that because you're assuming they're not upset. I think there's there's different ways of showing upset. Some guys are like Chris Zorch, you know, the story that that he didn't even play in a game and he was in the locker room crying. You know, some guys deal with it differently. Some guys, when when you leave it all on the on the field, it's kind of like you lose and it's just it takes a minute to sink in. And I know that's how I was as a player. I I would I would be mad, but you wouldn't see it because I was a quarterback. I had to act with some level of you know, of leadership, but then you get in the locker room. I just throw my helmet in the locker and be super ticked off. So I, I don't think we should evaluate how 
difficult a loss was for players because of how they're acting immediately after the game from what we see on TV. You know, if you saw what you – if you could see the locker room, I guarantee you, you would see more. I, I, I have heard as we walk – we used to walk through the tunnel to get up to uh, where we would do the press conference, and you could you could hear the anger in the locker room far greater than what you saw on the field. I just think that's players saying, hey, we're not going to show this in front of people, get in the locker room, locker room and then the frustrations will come out. And and so I would I would not – I would not view that. I, I think, the, trust me, nobody invests more in trying to win games than the Notre Dame players, and it doesn't hurt anybody more. You may, it may hurt as a fan, and for me, like Notre Dame loses, it hurts my business, and and as a fan, it also stings. But we're not the ones out there lifting the weights, getting up at five a.m. for workouts, at practice, hitting each other, doing all that. It, trust me, it, it matters to them. Um, it, it matters a lot to them. It matters a lot more to them than it does to us because it's their futures as well. Saban James, how about Auburn? I could care less, could not care less about playing Auburn. I, I just, that's not a program I've ever cared about. This is a good one. Free, grace, truth, embrace. Um, Boise State. So here's why I would not say Boise State, because to me, there's nothing in it for Notre Dame to play Boise State. There's no recruiting advantage. If you beat them, everybody says, so what? You're supposed to beat them. But if you lose to them, you get crushed. So I just, I just don't see any advantage. Although I would like to kind of go to Boise someday, but there's no way in heck Notre Dame's going to travel to Boise, Idaho to play a game. What about Baylor? Joseph Salvatore, what about Baylor? Uh, again, I just don't see a lot in it for Notre Dame to play Baylor. They're not a football powerhouse. They don't have a great reputation of football. You know, Waco is the area. It's not really near all the talent. I think the reason I take TCU is because TCU's in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. You get to play a game in Dallas-Fort Worth in front of those people and a, another Big 12 opponent you could evaluate yourself on. I think that would be, um, that would be to me, that would be my pick. Uh, and here's here's one, Thomas Leonard, just the last one. I'd like to see them play Nebraska if they ever get back to the 90s level of play. See, they've played Nebraska before, and and that was kind of, you know, in, was it 99 and 2000? Uh, I believe it was. So they've played them before. Um, and to me, Nebraska, Nebraska in the Big Ten has no value to me. I think that was one of the worst moves that program could ever make was going to the Big Ten. They should have stayed in the Big 12. It was a, another shocker, another person in power that made a, a move that was 100% about money and not about what's best for the actual football program or the student athletes. That was a terrible move. Um, they, they, I wish they could, I wish they could get back into the Big 12. But with them in the Big Ten, there's no – I mean, there's four or five programs in the Big Ten. I'd rather play Penn State. I'd rather play Michigan State. I'd rather play Purdue. Um, I'd rather play Ohio State. There's no value to me in playing Nebraska if they're a Big Ten opponent. Um, Gabe Weiss, Oregon. be a fun game. It'd be cool to go out to Eugene again. I was out there once. But, um, I again, I don't see a ton of value in that one from a recruiting standpoint. Although Oregon's getting better, so maybe I should rethink that one a little bit. That might be an interesting game. But um, – but also Oregon doesn't have the same reputation, you know, so, and I don't think Oregon would necessarily be a hotbed for getting recruits. If anything, you say maybe Washington might be better, although they've played Washington because there's there seems to be more players coming out of Washington than come out of Oregon. And that's kind of how I look at it, is what is in it for Notre Dame to play that game beyond just, Hey, it's a great series, but all the teams that would be a great series, Notre Dame's already played. And the premise of the question was that they haven't played in my lifetime and, you know, like Iowa, it was an example we gave. I don't know what Iowa does for Notre Dame. It's like two traditional teams, but I don't see what that does for Notre Dame. And and so that's why that would be a team that I would not go with. So it appears that we got all the questions. I'm just going to scroll through here. 
and see if there's any that I might have missed. If I missed your question, I apologize. Um, not intentional. We just had a lot of them today, which was awesome. For the people that left Super Chats, uh, really appreciate it very, very much. We just kind of kicked that off this week. It is not required to, to, to do that, obviously, to get your question asked. I would never do that to y'all, but it is a way where you can support our, our channel and support our program and what we're doing, and it is very, very appreciated. Uh, I think we have everything. We got some DMX questions here. Uh, definitely rest in peace. Um, let's see here. I think that we are done, folks. I think that's the last question. Uh, Michigan fans are the worst. I think we did that one before, but it never hurts to put it up again. Uh, so we, we can always get some anti-Michigan hate in here. Um, let's see here. All right. I think we showed that. That's a pretty cool story. All right, folks. I think we have all the questions answered. Um, did we put this one up? I grew up a Notre Dame fan because my family has had season tickets since 1991 and my uncle went to school there. Also, I love Notre Dame sports, but it's hard being a Notre Dame fan in Central Ohio. Yes, I wasn't a Notre Dame fan in Central Ohio. I was a Notre Dame fan in Northwest Ohio. So I can only imagine like, you know, kind of multiplying what I had to deal with. Here's the thing. So, Maddie, I was in, I grew up, I was born in 78. So, you know, the 1980s, I was in elementary and middle school. So think about the, the mid to late 80s. I was a Notre Dame and a Denver Bronco fan. You want to think, talk about, and I was surrounded by nothing but Ohio State and Cleveland Brown fans. Remember, Denver beat the Browns three times in the AFC Championship during then, and everybody talked trash to me leading up to those games. Major trash. And let me tell you, did I talk a lot of trash after those games? So, yes, I was not well-liked by my friends in football season uh, growing up, that is for sure. I think we have I think we have all the questions. If I missed a question, I really apologize for it. There just was so many this week, so many great questions. We appreciate all of y'all um, joining it, uh, joining the show, being with us. It's great to see all this support. We got some super chats from people today, which is awesome. We really appreciate that. Uh, John Klimek, appreciate you very much. Um, Jason gave us a, a super chat, so Connor gave us one. Appreciate that, Connor. Uh, you've been, I think you've been in every, every show so far, which is awesome. So really appreciate you guys. Um, yeah, so I think that's it. So, Hey, look, uh, we are going to be back here in probably a couple hours with another live podcast. So if you're watching live now, just be on the lookout for another one later today. So that's all I'm going to say. Uh, but you guys know when we do impromptu podcasts and what that means. So we hope that we are planning on having a, another podcast here later today, live podcast, where we're going to talk a little bit about recruiting. So uh, join us then. Otherwise, have yourselves a great rest of your day, a wonderful, safe weekend. Like I said we'll be in uh, me, uh, Eric Rudder and myself will be in Columbus this weekend for uh, the Under Armour uh, camp. So we'll have a chance to hopefully see some uh, some guys that Notre Dame is on. There's about 15 of the list we got, 15, 22, and 23 players that have Notre Dame offers that Notre Dame is actively recruiting that are scheduled to show up. We'll see if they do or not. They don't always show up, so we will have that. So we'll have coverage of that. Eric and I will uh, we'll have Eric on his first podcast next, next week. If most of those guys show up, we'll have a lot of recruiting info that we'll want to share. So we'll have Eric on the podcast. It'll be his first 
time on the podcast and uh, we'll talk some recruiting. And of course, next week we'll be back at it with a podcast today. So thanks for so much for joining us today. Appreciate y'all very, 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 very much. And we will talk to y'all again very soon, very soon. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.